0: Shaft, 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 I'm Samuel Jackson. I'm John Shaft. Shaft, Shaft, Shaft. Here is my uncle. He's John Shaft. Shaft, 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 Shaft. He's not my uncle. He is my dad. And now I have a son. Name's also John Shaft. Shafting the Shaft. Wait, so the song was secretly about the 2019 shaft the whole time? I went through a couple drafts of the song because I felt like I was worried about making it felt feel a little too focused on the Tim Story movie, but I felt the need to upfront acknowledge how bizarre the relationship between the three films just titled Shaft. Yes. Is. It really yes. is a lot. What was the melody there? Uh, the theme to Night Court. So, Demi. Got it. The first episode we ever did that wasn't about Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, back when we thought this was only going to be a podcast about Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, was, of course, of course, about David Dobkin's motion picture, The Judge. Sure. So I thought it would be funny to call that episode Judging the Judge and rewrite, write lyrics to the theme to Night Court for that episode. Then some point in that episode, I promised that we would do an episode on Angley's Hulk one day called Hulking the Hulk. So when we did that years later, I sang a Hulking the Hulk song. How have you not done that for every episode since? I want to make it count. And this felt like a uh, the right one. You only busted out for the big ones. This felt
1: like the right one because this is a song with a famous theme song, a yes. movie with a famous theme song.
0: It's a swerve, one could say. Yes, right. Because Ben, right before we recorded, texted, should we try to come up with a... Shaft version of the theme song And I said no I got something planned Which Pest? is I- instead of doing that Instead of doing what people would like sure, Let me do the Night court <laughs> theme song again yeah. You gotta make them whip for it But also Hulk and the Hulk, Judge and the Judge Were both about the weird relationships Between the father and the son mm.
1: That's true, that's true And of course this is about the weird relationship Between uncle and nephew Sorry, sorry, I mean father and son They're actually father and son
0: Okay so David you told me you have not watched Shaft 2019. I have not,
1: but I do know that it retcons the very important piece of information that Shaft 2 is Sha- Shaft's son, uh, not Shaft's nephew. Demi, have you
0: seen it? I
2: have, and I'm ashamed to say that that is the first Shaft I ever watched back wow. when it came out. Uh, I was in New Zealand when it dropped, and it was on Netflix for free there, so I was like, yeah, let me check this out. And I immediately was like, this sucks. <laughs> it's bad. It's very bad. I I feel bad because I I have a hate love relationship with uh Tim Story. Just I I think he gets a little he's very much like a studio gun, but I think sometimes he turns out on not as bad as it's criticized thing and i do think shaft 2019 is
1: bad barbershop is good barbershop
0: yes ride along is fun i yes i like that's that's my thing with tim's story okay i was thinking this while watching this is like tim's story is this guy who both i feel like needs to be defended a little bit and also needs to be attacked a little bit like you're like there's no middle ground for him and you know what fantastic four enjoyed it see i hate those movies
2: I, I get it and I, I would never uh argue with someone who says they're bad, but I do feel like that in that period of superhero film, that one was very fun to me. And uh also just where is uh
0: Yon Griffith now? Or yeah. Whatever his name is. Th- that's just an odd thing that he got that role for those two movies. Yeah.
1: He he had a show where he like he's like a cop who dies at the end of every night. Ah, oh, fuck! I, I believe it's it the opposite. Now. I
0: believe it's that he never dies. He's a cop who's been alive for like four hundred years. No, that is New Amsterdam, and that starred Nikolai coster
1: Waldo. I remember that show. Is that what happens um, in New
2: Amsterdam? That's not a Doctor show.
1: There, then they did a Doctor show also called New oh Amsterdam. Oh my god! Jesus! B- no. Um, but the the Jon Griffith, uh, show was called Fuck a uh, Forever. Forever. Mm, and right. let's see, he's a medical examiner who is studying the dead to solve the mystery of his own immortality, so mm-hmm. he also is, is Thank you. Uh, yes, two immortal shows, but he was an immortal me, Griffin. You
0: know, like, we, we all... Uh, yes, sure. Right. I, I've been watching uh, uh, <laughs> Penn & Teller's Fool Us, which is only streaming on CWC. We were talking about uh, obscure streaming services right before this, and CW Seed, in addition to having CW shows, also has shows from other networks that they don't care about. So, like Forever, which was an ABC show, I think, produced I think, I think by so. Warner Brothers, is on CW Seed. And if you watch Panteller Fool Us, you'll get 18 commercial breaks to promote Forever, a show that was canceled seven years ago and only oh had one God. season. Yeah. Are you um, saying Seed? Yes, it's called CW Seed. That's a insanely bad name. Yes. Yeah, it's
2: I don't understand the name there, but I feel like every other net thing is like just us plus or us max. So I, I give them credit for just being like we don't want to do that. It's very
0: very bizarre. Uh, yeah. But yes, no Tim Story is a guy who either like surprisingly over delivers or ruins what should be a slam dunk. Yes, and it feels like there's very little middle ground. Uh, I have not seen he did the Tom and Jerry, right? He did the, the Tom the and Jerry movie.
1: How is that? Bizarre.
2: Haven't heard good things, but I have heard it's surprisingly not enough Tom and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> they they fucked up. They forgot to put Tom and Jerry in it, which is look,
1: <laughs>
0: tiny
2: mistake. Alright, so that's a wrap on Jost. Oh, wait. We got Moretz, we got Pena, we got Joe's. What are we what are we missing? That,
0: w- that was a mistake also. When they first screened it, they did a test screen. The title was Jost and Jerry. <laughs> J- Sony's got the rights to Tom. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> it's a workaround. Um Tom uh, yeah, venom. yes. Tim Story a very, very bizarre career. Sometimes I feel like he deserves more credit. Sometimes I, I think he deserves more shame. But uh the Shaft movie is a bizarre uh, misfire. I'm, I'm front-loading this talk here because then we're going to talk about John Singleton's shaft primarily because this, of course, is Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. And it's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce, baby. And this is not a mini series on the films of Tim's story, we're not ready to tell the story yet, the never-ending story. No, it's not impossible that we could do a Tim Story miniseries, right? Look, I was doing this recently. I was curious what the current rankings are of highest-grossing black directors. Coogler. See, Coogler, you would think so, just because, obviously, Black Panther is so huge. Yeah, but he's, and Creed. Creed's big. Black Panther is humongous, but he's right. only done three movies. F. Gary Gray has him beat. F. Gary that's... Gray has the title now because
1: he did a he did a Fast and Furious, oh, he yeah. did a Men in Black, right? right so
0: right. like he did Fate of the Furious, that's a billion in the bank worldwide. Then he gets a Men in Black, he gets straight at a comp. Th- like there's enough Italian job, there are enough big movies in there, but Fate of the Furious pushed him over. Then I think Coogler's number two, and Tim Story's number three. Wow, Tim Story was one for a while.
2: Which is crazy because I think of those uh, directors, he's probably the first one where I think a lot of people will just be like, "I don't know who that is" or "Who right. worked on," or not the first one, but just like I think you'd have a chance that F. Gary Gray would be like, "I know who that is."
1: Sure, I and I like I know what F. Gary Gray looks like. I don't know that I know what Tim Story looks no, like. Me neither. I googled him and I'm like, "Oh, look, it's like a guy with glasses. He's bald." You know,
0: sure. Can I say he he looks like John Singleton's dorky younger brother? sure he's 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 bald they're he's both bald men. and he's got glasses <laughs> like singleton but he just looks very kind of like meek and quiet um but but yes it's like right okay so he he did barbershop which launches a franchise he does two think like a man movies he does two ride-along movies he does two fantastic four movies he does taxi he does taxi he does which Herc- i love Hurricane Season, which does not exist, which was a post-Katrina, Forrest Whitaker, inspirational basketball drama that the Weinstein Company pretty much never released. And then Tom and Jerry. Like, that's a pretty fucking weird filmography. Yeah. I'm just looking at, I mean, Hurricane Season
1: starred both Bow Wow and Lil Wayne. Yeah, it's like Lil Wayne's biggest acting role. Jeez. He's second build the crazy thing is that all like none of these
2: movies feel like him taking uh like just building up like he he doesn't feel like he's done a blank check movie yet these no. all feel like for studio no.
1: he's a studio guy like the yeah. biggest blank check he ever got was like that he i don't know did a movie with the silver surfer in it or something like i i just don't right. know when where he was like i can't you know, I've got to do this, you know, I've got
0: to show people how to think like a man too. And this is a perfect bridge. And of course, joining us today to to help build this bridge is our dear friend, return to the show, Demi Adija Hello. Hello writer for the Amber Ruffin show, which people should watch on Peacock is a great show. Um, among many other notable credits. Uh, but that's the big difference, right, is that Tim Story is the ultimate company man, and he'll be like, yeah, I want it to do Ride Along. I love my buddy Kevin Hart. I'd like to make a movie that makes him a movie star, right? right He'd be like, yeah. yeah, I was a Fantastic Four fan growing up. I liked Tom and Jerry cartoons growing up, but none of the shit feels super personal ever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel yeah. like he necessarily has a personal statement within him, and uh, uh, even the Shaft remake just kind of feels like a shrug from where it's like, oh, that feels like a fun property to reboot, Yeah, which I also I I think I partially
2: credit that to uh, Kenya Barris, who wrote it as well, because I feel like a lot of things he does just feels like there's not really a take here as much as it's just like, what's a new way to do this existing property?
0: Okay, I swear to God, we're going to talk about the fucking John Singleton shaft, which I would argue is very much a passion project Definitely is a bizarre case where you have a filmmaker experienced massive success early on in his career, then experienced a series of underperformers. The bloom had sort of fallen off the rose for him. He did something that's on its face was like, here's a guy trying to rebound commercially with an obvious slam dunk studio movie, but it was actually as much a passion project for him as any of his earlier films.
1: That is true. But as you say, right, it's like, this was kind of a, I remember when this was announced and I was like, a 13-year-old movie nerd yeah. i was like oh samuel jackson is like the new shaft like brilliant like i'm so excited Money in for the bank. that like right. right right that's a great idea you know like I, it was exciting people honestly when they announced the fucking new thing with you know three generations of shaft or whatever i was like oh that could be good and then obviously it was not good and that that's that happens but i was excited for that
2: he's such a slam dunk shaft that it's so clear that they were like we don't have there's no new person that could fill that role we have to make him also the star of the 2019 one even though they're like it's another generation it's like he's not the focus the new kid is not the focus it's like let's bring back Middle Shaft.
1: Yeah, isn't the new kid? They're all just like, get out of here, you twerp. Yeah, they're they're just like kids nowadays.
2: Oh, it's such a, it's so bizarre. I could talk forever about why I think it's like a, first of all, a perversion of a perversion of Shaft. It just feels like, uh, someone just like three levels, like a story you heard from
0: someone who heard a story about Shaft, and then they wrote a movie based on that. It's just, off. I have more thoughts I want to share in that movie. I think we should put a pin in it and come back to it post-singleton talk because there is a lot of context for this middle shaft entry. Um, But I just want to say, before we go into this, just because you mentioned it, Demi, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, okay? Is Kenya Barris one of these guys who is like a pseudonym for a writer's room of 15 people? (laughs) Like, I know there is literally a Kenya Barris, but is there also, like a a a Voltron is it a Hans Zimmer scenario right is there a Hans Zimmer is there like a ghost kitchen of Kenya Barris's because you look at his career right he he is like a tv vet right he's writing on all these shows and uh you know like but 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 kind of like you know okay he writes for the game are we there yet girlfriends soul food the tv show he Created America's next top model, which I always forget. Yeah, that's wild. To that me. it was his idea. That is wild. But then 2016, okay, from 2016 on, and he's already created and is show running blackish at this point, and over this time he also expands to mixed-ish, grown ish what have you, right? Right. 2016, Barbershop the Next Cut, 2017, Girls Trip, 2019, Shaft, 2020, The Witches. 2021 Coming to America announces the showrunner on the Cheaper by the Dozen Disney Plus reboot with Gabrielle Union and Zach Braff.
1: I also want to point out that he is not the sole writer of any of those movies. Right. He's a shared credits guy for these things. So they That's bring the other in thing for me.
0: reboots, right. revivals, things like that. And very often it feels like the other person he shares the credit with is someone who is on the writing staff of one of his shows. And it feels like he comes in Gives the pitch and it's like the take is the new Shaft is a pussy and his dad's got to teach him how to man up and they're like great five hundred million dollars and then he passes it over to someone on his writers. I feel staff. like that's exactly what happens. Right, he, <laughs> he he
2: acts as the showrunner for these movies in that like they have other people doing like writing on it, but then he comes yes. in and is like, all right, I'll give you notes on this and what if we do this here and it's like you're just doing punch up on this movie. Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I I and we have to talk about Shaft, um but I have not yet seen coming. To America, neither have I. I have seen it. Um, I, I've been meaning to watch it. Um, I know that he's only. I know that the original writers already also worked on it, like right? Blaustein and Sheffield, whatever. But I remember reading an interview with Eddie Murphy because I found out that the premise is that he has like a daughter or a son. A he has a son, right? He has both. He that's has- every reboot. Right, but he has, like, a son in America. David, the he, premise
0: the premise of the movie is he has only daughters, which means he will not be able to pass his kingdom uh, on. Sure, right. So he wants his daughter to marry some shitty guy, and then they find he had a a bastard love child with Leslie Jones one night when she essentially date-raped him. This is the premise of the movie.
1: Right, this is the thing. I, I have seen Coming to America multi- many times. It's a movie I like. And I was like, Richard. uh wait why how does he have a son i've seen that movie he's very kind of chaste and quiet in coming to america like and then i read some interview with eddie murphy where he was like yeah like we weren't sure how to do a a sequel and then someone wrote the script where it's like oh but he actually secretly had a one night stand and that really unlocked the story for us and i'm like it did that unlocked
0: the story (laughs) <laughs> that means
1: w- this is a- the best take we had. and <laughs> Right, that's oh. what it
0: sounded like to me. It was like, oh, you okay. Know, <laughs> the other thing I saw him say in an interview that unlocked the story for him was he was like, well, I was like so chaste and like virginal in that original movie. I didn't know how we could possibly justify that there was some conception that you didn't see. And then he was like, and then I saw The Irishman. Uh-huh. And I was like, the technology is there. We can shoot a new scene. And there is a new scene in coming... Numeral two America, oh, where I swear God, to God, no. it is maybe the best use of de-aging technology I've ever seen. Like, the scene is bad, but the technology, they finally cracked it. It's perfect.
2: Oh, I wonder if that movie was Eddie Murphy going, like, I can play characters again. I can play all sorts of, not as much makeup. I can yeah. just be, like, de oh,
1: Like, he sees the Irishman, and he's like, oh, I can do that, instead of yeah. sitting in a chair for a Norbit 2, let's
0: right.
1: go. Hey, I would watch it.
0: I will say he, he does the deep makeup again. Like, he does go for it. He, yeah. he plays the, the old Jew at the barber shop. He plays right. the, the sexual the hot sexual chocolate shop. guy. Right, right. right. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. That movie is anyway. interesting. Is the better version of what the 2019 Shaft is trying to do, but has similar weird Kenya Barris, let me reboot your property mm. uh, with millennials uh, uh, fingerprints on it. But Shaft is i just think this is an important stat that does not get discussed that much shaft is obviously it's ernest tittyman right uh writes a book shaft mm-hmm. about a sort of street level man of the people private detective
1: yeah to ernest tittyman like i you know he's like He wrote the French Connection, obviously. He's like a a gritty crime
0: novelist. He was like a crime reporter. He knows how this shit works. He gets hired to do French Connection off of the Shaft book. And then he sort of becomes like a little empire in and of himself. He starts producing the movies more. He becomes sort of like a developer of these things and combining sort of true life with fictionalization. But a key detail, Shaft in the book is white. In the first Shaft book, Shaft is white. Really? Really? He goes on Wait. Yes. He goes on to write many more Shaft books in the wake of the films, and then Shaft becomes definitively as a character the New York City African American private detective. That is fascinating. But at the very least, Shaft's ethnicity is not defined in the original book. And I know for a fact that when they first optioned the book to make into a film, it was not intended to be a black character. That's so
2: crazy because it feels it's like So down to the DNA that like Shaft is black that it feels like the story, it it couldn't happen with a white character. So I'm just like, what did they change?
0: That's what I why I bring this up, because you you look at the original Shaft and you're just sort of like. Well, what movie is there if this guy is white? Right? Yeah, a, like it just it's feels just a guy like
2: who doesn't like cops? It's a
1: crime movie. It's like sure. a yeah. It's just yeah. like
0: a yeah. The mob. He's got to right. deal with you know like it's 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 such a marginal programmer at that point. Like I think a uh, uh, man sort of talks a lot about how he kind of had a very unpretentious approach to how to make engaging text and make these things like you know like jump off the page and whatever. But you also you look at the meat and potatoes of the story of shaft and there's not a lot there without that interesting element right of just like this is kind of the first black cop you're seeing in a movie like this and you know his weird relationship between the authorities and the people on the street and what have you um
2: i think it's handled very deftly and like smartly in shaft 1971
0: uh but but the thing i have not been able to nail down is the timeline of whether they hire Gordon Parks first and then he has the decision to recast, to cast Shaft with a black actor or if it was the other way around. Melvin Van mm. Peebles had always taken credit for it because Sweet Sweet Back comes out in 1970 and he said like that movie was so big that then at the last second they decided to make Shaft black, which is not the case. Well,
2: it kicks off the blaxploitation uh, sort of trend in conjunction with Shaft, but I feel right. like. Because they sort of came out around the same time, I have to imagine that it was, like, either... I just I also can't imagine a studio hiring a black director to tell a black story at that time, like, caring.
0: Right. So I,
2: I can imagine they hired right. someone, and then Gordon Parks was like, what if it's this?
0: And they were like, yeah, whatever. That's my gathering of it. Because, yes, I think, like... Sweetback and Shaft were two separate things happening in two different silos that culturally came out within 9 months of each other and sort of then within, within like 3 months of each other. They both came out in 71. They're That's they're wild. very
1: close together. Yeah. They don't Damn. as you say, right. Like Sweetback is a that's an indie it, that's the indiest of indies obviously right. he's you know selling his bodily fluid it's not that's Robert rodriguez but you know it's like that kind of a situation <laughs> where shaft is a studio movie it's it's uh, mgm right
0: yeah and it's the movie that kind of saved mgm one of many films over many decades that saved mgm when they were on the brink of like bankruptcy um uh it, it was like a real revitalization but like you know, Shaft is very much a programmer, right? It's like it fits into this model of this kind of like private dick movie. But with this electric performance, with uh, uh, Gordon Parks giving it this sort of like New York City electricity and obviously the the score. It's so good. Right. And then like Sweet Sweetback is like a primal scream. Like it's barely a narrative film. It right. is so much more experimental than I think most people realize. And it is just sort of like a chaotic story about like a force of nature. And then I feel like those two things combine to get these sort of like outlaw vigilante exploitation movies that like then becomes the model with like Fred Williamson movies and Pam Greer films and all these things that pretty much start the year after this, like the real capitalization.
1: Right, Shaft is not that lurid. Like, obviously, no. the song is incredible. I mean, Shaft rules. It's the best. I've seen it so many times. I just like it as a New York movie. It's a great New York movie. I like, you know, him walking around. He's so hot. He's just like insanely hot. The turtleneck. I couldn't
2: stop taking note of just how good his skin was. Also, like for oh. for a movie at that time to like be able just to be able to see someone's skin and feel like whoa, it's not like it's not like smoothed out by film. It just looks really right. good naturally. Like even well, that's close.
0: anyway. It's a good point, Demi, where like, you know, this is a thing that uh, people far more knowledgeable than me have discussed at length and you should do uh, supplemental research into what I'm about to say. But like the very creation of film as a technology inherently had a lot of racial bias in it. And was was sort of chemically developed around white skin tones and notoriously black skin tones were really, really hard to capture for a very long period of time. And that is a thing that is very striking in the original Shaft movie is you have Gordon Parks, who was this like kind of polymath genius, master of all trades, but notably was like a very, very famous photographer And you really feel like this is a movie where someone actually knows how to capture the African-American complexion on camera, especially when you're dealing with like New York City kind of verite style night shooting. It's pretty striking.
2: Well, with that knowledge, maybe maybe it is possible. They were like, we want to do this with a, a black lead. We need someone who can shoot black people well. And they were like, well, let's get this photographer who's
1: famously doing it well. But again, don't know. I, I think he I think Parks is the one who wanted to cast Roundtree. I I I now wish I had l- sort of looked more into. But we're look we're going to talk about the Singleton Shaft up op- right, yeah, right. Yeah. I yeah.
0: I was trying to get definitive answers in the timeline here, and I couldn't. It's weirdly hard to pin down. The reason I unlocked all of this and knew all of this, and this is a humble brag, but uh uh Michael Murphy, the great character actor Michael Murphy, uh yeah. who is a regular of Robert Altman movies. Uh, in Brewster McCloud, which comes out in 1970, plays uh, Detective Frank Shaft. His character is like a bullet parody, but he's a guy who wears turtlenecks and the double shoulder holsters and is known for being super smooth and super slick. And it's funny because it's like the year before Shaft and other than being white, he has a lot of the similar characteristics of Shaft as a character. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some years ago, they were releasing a a, a Altman biography. And uh, I went with my father to the party where they were uh, uh, after the book had launched. And it was like a lot of other Altman family people there. And I went up to Michael Murphy because I'm such a big fan of Bruce McLeod, and was just like, I'm just a big fan. End up talking to him for a while. And I was like, you know, no one ever calls out the fact that you were the original Shaft, which I said kind of half jokingly. And he said, how did you know that? And I went, what do you mean? I mean, like in Brewster McCloud, you play a character, a detective named Shaft, the year before Shaft. And he went, oh, I didn't even put that together. I thought you were talking about the fact that I was supposed to play Shaft.
1: What? <laughs> and, he, and he like secretly had, was was circling the role of Shaft? Like the, They what? were
0: aggressively pursuing him. They wanted That's him to play Shaft. wild. And he, I love Michael Murphy, but he is notably kind of, his stock and trade is that he is super white bread. <laughs> The, I don't think the movie would have been as much of a hit. I feel like it would have faded no, into obscurity. It, it would have been any other cop movie, you know? Yeah. And Gordon Parks is like uh, the, what? The Learning Tree is... That's like 69, I think. Yeah.
1: Or, yeah, like late 60s. Is this uh, landmark movie? Yeah, well, he, he, the Learning Tree is like the first American movie made by a black man, like basically, yeah. right? Like, Yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, it, it is... It's interesting, like, again, I feel like a whole, it would be a whole episode to talk about the 71 chef, because like, I think MGM hired like a black PR firm. They, they, like, realize
0: what they had on That's the thing. After Sweetback comes out, they reframed sort of the whole marketing of the movie.
1: Right. Right. You know, I mean, I mean, Shaft also is the greatest second tagline. Shaft's his name, Shaft's his game, like, where you're like, it is. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I, you know, like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> it is his game, though. I, I know. I know. Um, like, everything, the logo is the best. I, the only thing that's weird to me about Shaft is that they only made two sequels. Like, and I don't really. There's not really a big story for why that is, because both sequ- Shaft in Africa was kind of a bomb. But like, yeah. you could have done more Shafts. I, yeah. I think I don't. I don't know what happened there. They did a TV show that didn't go anywhere. I think that was part of the problem. I right,
0: bought right, right. that box set and and thought optimistically I was going to make it through the nine Shaft TV films. It, oh, that that was optimistic. Way too optimistic. But they tried did to you, like. Did did I what, did I watch any of them? No, I did not even put the disc into did the. Did you play- watch
1: the? No, did you watch the movies? Yes, I watched I mean, every the, Shaft movie in preparation right, for right, this. Right, right, yeah.
0: Um, I did I, too,
1: I, except for the Tim story.
0: Yeah. Uh. The, the They tried to make Shaft into, like, Columbo. It was, like, it'll be 90-minute CBS movie of the week, Shaft solves one mystery kind of things, and they're a lot more rote.
2: That would be brilliant if Shaft's entire thing was his detective process instead of just being, hard. like, a guy who doesn't like the police and yeah. has is just sort of, like, I don't know, overly sexual and also just, like, I don't know, he, he just sort of shows up places. He's chill, like, yeah. yeah. We're just following like the world's most basic investigation through these movies.
1: Right. And he'll like go see some mobster and the mobster will be like, hey, fuck you. And Shaft's like, I don't think so. And you're like, hey, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, <laughs> Shaft isn't scared of this guy.
2: He never fires first. He's always like defensive. Definitely. It's like, I don't know. I think, which is something that, and we'll get into Shaft 2000, but I think they really change that about the character in a way that does not sit well with me. They change a lot that I'm just like, yes. I think it's, I think it's
1: a Look. There is no weirder way to watch the singleton shaft than having watched the first three shafts yes. in like yeah. two days, which oh is my God. because that you are like, wow, this is and it's just a whole other thing. Like this yeah. is just not Barely shaft at all.
2: Like thematically, spiritually, and politically just unaligned with the original shaft in so many ways that I, <laughs> right. I imagine Gordon Parks watching and just being like, I'm so
1: fucking upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am because he's in it too yeah. so he must have like he probably went to the premiere or whatever yeah was he like yeah i loved when he said Giuliani's time like oh I, my look, we'll talk god about, well, well about. I, I just imagine he's like i don't have any
2: control over this it's gonna get made whether or not i am involved right. sure. so let me yeah i'll
0: be in it that's i mean the other weird thing i i just always think is such an interesting stat is gordon parks jr directs superfly the following year really yeah his son what? directed Superfly, which then becomes the template for, I think, what most people think of for exploitation movies. And like Shaft. Right, like Shaft and Sweetback combine to equal Superfly, which then becomes the movie that everyone else is copying.
2: I feel like the cultural uh, sort of like understanding of Shaft for right now feels so much more like Superfly. I feel like a lot of people are like uh Shaft is a guy who smacks around his women. It's like no, he doesn't.
1: Right. And like dresses like, you know, crazy and has like wacky outfits. It's like no, Shaft just like wears turtlenecks and goes to the bar. Yeah. He's cool. He's so chill. Yeah, and when he has sex with someone, it's chill because right. everything he does is chill. He's a chill guy. If he walks into like 5th Avenue, cars slow down cuz he's walking. So
0: relax. He doesn't yell at the cars. They just slow down around him. That's the weirdest thing about the whole Shaft legacy, which I've been trying to build up to, is it feels like Shaft 2019, but in particular Shaft 2000, which is what we're ostensibly talking about today, Mm -hmm. are movies that are like sequels to the cultural reputation of Shaft more than actual Shaft. Because what Shaft is has become sort of so abstract over decades where you're like, this first movie is this movie where the the combination of the right director casting like a great Discovery movie star and then getting the coolest person to do the soundtrack turns it into something different than what it is on paper, right? right. But it is somewhat alarming watching the original Shaft and being like, oh, this is in its very nature a pretty straightforward crime movie yes. it is not as flashy as in your mind you think it is because of what shaft has come to represent i think it's
2: because this movie is all it created a vibe it didn't sort of like coast on a vibe it starts the black exploitation genre it's, it has like a soundtrack a look and just a marketing sort of thing that you feel like is so iconic now but back then it's just sort of like they just we just created it out of nothing and it's wild to think of a movie being so like based on nothing that even though it's like, it's an adaptation of this book, but it's also just like everything about it that stands out is so original it, that it just feels like you don't have an idea of, you think of shaft and you're not thinking of it as shaft. It's like shaft is kind of like this plus this. You're like shaft is shaft. And right. so that just gets perverted in your mind as to like, well now what I remember of shaft, because it's just, it's like seeing an original painting for the first time and then trying to describe the painting without comparing it to anything else. You just kind of go like, uh I'm going to make up what I kind of think it I have to describe it as.
0: Right. And
1: uh, David, sorry. No, I just remember the trailer for Shaft 2000 dropping. And he says, it's my duty to please that booty and things like that. And I, as a teenager, I was like, yes, this is Shaft's energy. Right. I haven't yeah. seen Shaft, but Same. I assume
0: he's just someone who talks. In Classic Shaft. Breaks. Like I'm fucking 10 years old, 11 years old. And I was like, that's the Shaft I know and love. And my dad was like, you haven't seen Shaft. You've seen like, <laughs> like fucking like, like Maniac's <laughs> parody Shaft. And, like, I
1: look, I think there's things that I would, but, like, 70s Shaft, yes, Isaac Hayes does sing a whole song about how cool he is. That won I an think Oscar. If, that won an Oscar, and it's an Deservedly. iconic performance at the Academy Awards, yep. and it's deserved. But, like, I feel like if John Shaft saw Isaac Hayes do that number, he'd be like, yeah, oh, that's cool. Like, he would not have a big reaction to it. He might be a little embarrassed. Yeah, just be
0: like, right on. Yeah, I think he'd be like, I don't need all that flash. Let's yeah, take right. it easy. Yeah. That's, it's like Richard Roundtree is just has such a casual command of the screen. That is the thing that makes him so cool. And he also yeah. has the command anytime he walks into a room, but he's not overzealous in any way now. And, and Demi sort of, as you were saying, like everything that made Shaft so kind of culturally impactful feels like it happened organically, right? Like it was all these different things developing at different ways that all came together and like made this big splash. But what we think of as Shaft was sort of codified by everyone imitating Shaft and even to a a degree also more the Shaft sequels than actual Shaft. And it's like, I think there was the Shaft sequels feel a little burdened by like, are we making a second Shaft movie or are we making what now Shaft feels like it needs to respond to? Right. Are we adapting a meme?
1: Right. 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 They, they especially, right. The Round Tree sequels, they're more James Bondy. They have more sex. They have more montage. They have more like costume changes and stuff. Like, they're trying to be more what you're talking about. The round, look, the, let's talk about John Singleton's chef. Okay, we got so it, we, let's, you know, this
0: is this is the line I'm drawing. So Singleton, I was reading a lot of articles from when this movie was getting announced, when it was being developed, when it was coming out. There was like so much press hullabaloo around this movie. I think because uh, Singleton was seen as sort of like the golden child who had sort of lost his way as this Is this his chance to like reclaim the culture. And this is really like Samuel Jackson's first time being... The lead of a big studio movie after being like such a fucking dependable player for the '90s, right? Yeah. Like just essentially owning the '90s. He
1: like when he's a lead before then, it's like The Negotiator or Sphere or The Long Kiss Goodnight or what, he, you know, he's a dual lead with someone else, like yeah. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, you know, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, like Rules of Engagement. That's not. I'm like looking through his. Obviously, he's. Sort of the secret he's like presented, kind of as the lead of Deep Blue Sea, but obviously he's not uh, because he gets eaten by a shark. Spoiler alert for Deep Blue Sea. Um, Yeah, that's it. You know, he's the lead of Jackie Brown. That's an ensemble movie. Uh, Yeah, he really hasn't had a Samuel L. Jackson is
0: title yeah. movie right so yeah. i think there was that feeling of it being overdue and singleton talked about that he felt like this movie was like his destiny that he saw the first shaft when he was three years old his father who was a little bit of a fabulist you know is obviously the character that uh uh inspire is the guy who inspired the um Lawrence fishburne character in, uh, boys, in boys in the hood his father used to claim that shaft was based on him and he was like, "You were a detective," and he was like, "No, but I lived in New York City and I walked around cool." I think someone must have seen me. That tracks. Hard to dispute. Yeah. <laughs> Ernest
1: Tidyman's like at his desk, like hammering on a typewriter. He sees yeah. him walking around. He's like, "Oh, that guy's walking pretty cool." I'm gonna make him white in this book though. <laughs> I am gonna make the second book be called Shaft Among the Jews. Which is yeah. truly the That's title incredible. of the second shaft
2: book. Why did they adapt that uh, adapt that one? <laughs> they're gonna. They're no, they're, yeah. gonna, they're, they're gonna. They're gonna, gonna get work to on it. Gonna I, get I, would, to I would love for Kenya Bears to be in charge of that one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that would be he He's like, alright. Um but but yes, so uh uh Singleton was always like, I love Shaft. Shaft was like james bond for me right that's the thing that's the key to this movie i think is that you have Someone who has a very young child imprints upon this character and is like, "This is our superhero." And to some degree, the film we end up seeing decades later is him making his like little boy fan fiction Oof. of Shaft.
1: Right? Here's yeah. the other thing, though, that I feel yeah. like has to be. This is there is not much mentioned, but Singleton's other passion project. He gets attached to Shaft in '96 is a Luke Cage movie. And this is kind of a Luke Cage movie. Yes, like, that's the other thing. You know, that like kind of the, like super guy in Harlem busting things up. Like right. it's, And I feel like he's just sort of got that. To He just wants to make kind of like this like
0: larger than life movie. He wants to make his black superhero movie. And like he for a period of time was trying to do black panther he wants to do it with wesley snipes i need to find the interview wesley snipes talks about it it sounds terrible like wesley snipes (laughs) was like i love john singleton but that was a really really fucking bad pitch
1: i have i'll I'll give you let me tell you what wesley snipes said the pitch was yeah he was like i pitch classic black panther secret world in africa technically advanced society yada 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 and john is like no No, I wanted to have the spirit of the Black Panther, and he's going to get his son to join the Black Panthers, and they have like political strife, and I want to like make it be all about the civil rights movement. Mm. And Wesley Snipes was like, "Have you read the comic? I don't think any of that's in there. Like, I think you're just talking about a different movie.
0: Like, that's that's the
1: most he described it as. Basically,
0: thank God I love John, but I'm so glad we didn't go down that road. Uh, the the line here that's incredible is he and his son have a problem and they have some strife because he's trying to be politically correct and his son wants to be a knucklehead. Mm. Oh, I hate so when that happens. That pitch is
2: basically uh, Shaft 2019. <laughs> yes. It is. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. no. That's
0: what's fascinating about it. Uh, but, but... Uh, yes, Luke Cage was a much better fit for him. He wanted to do it for a long time. Even through like the mid-2000s post X-Men and Spider-Man, he for a long time was saying that he was going to do it with Tyrese because Tyrese became his guy. Um, but it never materialized. This feels like absolutely correct. The culmination of those two desires, right? To make the movie that he imagined in his head as a little boy, reading uh, Luke Cage comics, watching Shaft, movies. Uh, He wants to do it with Don Cheadle. That's his big thing. When he signs mm-hmm. on to do the project, he's talking the trades. I love Don Cheadle. I think he's the next big movie star. And his rep at this time is uh, Traffic, or is or, no pre Traffic, same year. Okay, Traffic's the same year. I mean, his so rep... who is
2: Don Cheadle to the world at this point? That he's like, I love this guy.
0: He's like a great devil character in the blue actor. dress, right? Oh, okay. Right?
1: Yeah, out of right. sight, you know. Like he's 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 coming along. He's in Rosewood, obviously.
0: Right. That's the thing. He's like he's in Boogie Nights. Like right. good directors have recognized that he's an amazing character actor. There. devil in the blue dress was the thing where people thought he was going to get an oscar nomination he didn't but he was certainly not being positioned as a leading man which is wild because i feel like this movie doesn't exist without samuel
2: L. jackson doing pulp fiction yes. i feel like the cultural understanding of shaft is so much of what he's doing in that movie with all the like do you speak it motherfucker and then like i imagine
0: people seeing that and being like oh my god shaft it's a two-pronged thing. It's literally, it's that. It's that Sam Jackson was like the right star to conceptually reboot this with, where the studio was going to sign off on it. And two, Jackie Brown. Weirdly, I was just right. reading all these interviews where they talked about the fact that he had wanted to do it, that no one had any interest. He was ever actively developing it, but he always was like, I would love to do a modern shaft. Uh, and then... Scott Rudin at Paramount at that point in time. I don't know why Paramount has the rights to Shaft because the Shaft rights are confusing. I've got
1: it for you right here.
0: Ooh, somebody did a Google. All
1: right, so this movie was in MGM's. It was MGM's, and then they sell it to Paramount. Uh-huh. Singleton said he made them sell it to Paramount because MGM wouldn't give him a big budget. They thought it would just be a "quote unquote" black movie. Like he 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 basically curses out MGM. And so MGM kicks the rights to to Paramount. That's when Scott Rudin comes aboard. Uh, In 1997...
0: And let's say Scott Rudin, uh, a notorious monster, at that point in time is just kind of the biggest producer at the overall deal at Paramount. So, like, any top-priority movie at Paramount, he's going to put his claws into, which means this was really seen as potential for a huge franchise for them. Uh,
1: Yeah, and I think, like... That you know, the initially they the, he held auditions at the Apollo Theater for like he wanted an unknown at some point, like, there was some big event he did where he's like, I'm gonna cast the new shaft, but then Sam Jackson comes aboard, right. and like that feels like. The studio being like, well, wait a second, no, like let's like
0: make this a big movie. The uh, the other thing I read, uh, there's a, a Shane Salerno uh, who co-wrote right. the original script for this, the guy who did Armageddon, and, and is, is now like, you know, writing, writing like, like Avatar Five: The Seed Bearer or whichever one. Um, yeah. But he wrote a, a long, excuse me, eulogy for Singleton when he passed away a couple of years ago. He said that at one point Singleton was really into the idea of it being Will Smith and Lauren Hill. Right. He definitely wanted Lauren Hill to play Shaft's like sister. I think he wanted Lauren Hill to play the Vanessa Williams character. But this is Ooh. the other thing his original pitch was he very much wanted it to be the two generations of Shaft. He wanted the whole movie to be the two of them together. Yeah. So I think he wanted a younger Shaft originally. He wanted someone in the Will Smith, Don Cheadle age range. And Rudin and Paramount were like, we don't want the fucking old guy shaft. make that a cameo. you can sprinkle him in there a little bit. Let's make this a vehicle for someone to be a fucking movie star. And Sam Jackson obviously has just had this dominant 90s. Um, but the other thing is that like even though Jackie Brown underperformed, it sort of launched a uh, a black exploitation, Sort of like a uh, reclamation project, especially with like Pam Grier being put back in movies again. Yeah, um, and just the vibe, even though that movie is not ostensibly a black exploitation pastiche fully. That then they were like, "Oh, you could do like Shaft, but make it like Jackie Brown." Well, if you're gonna do that, just get get the Tarantino guy. Get Sam Jackson,
1: absolutely. I, right. and the other, yes, yes. That I mean, they also had like a Cleopatra Jones remake setup. They had a Superfly remake setup. They never happened. I know they eventually did Superfly like a couple of years ago, but like yeah. I think Hollywood at the time was like, yeah, let's let's
0: do remakes of all this stuff. And also the you know the 90s were obviously th- things run on this 20-year cycle. The 90s were when there was this big 70s nostalgia wave and you get things like the Brady Bunch movie and you start getting like 70s TV show adaptations and all that sort of shit.
2: Which is so strange because it's them trying to capitalize on the success of these things that were all based so much on vibe and then being yes. like, well, let's get rid of the vibe. Right? It just, It just, I don't know, they sort of like make a new metal shaft and I'm just like, I don't know... <laughs> what people are supposed to think of this.
0: I mean, there's there's a really irascible singleton piece. I need to figure out which one it is. I have it somewhere in my tabs here, but where he's talking about like all the rumors that had spread around the movie at this point and the fact that they only let him like the fact this movie is only getting greenlit because of the Tarantino like buzz. And he mm. was like they kept on telling me to do the Tarantino thing. And I'm like, that motherfucker writes movies from outside the fishbowl. I'm in the fishbowl. And yet, and yet I feel like this movie, if you did not tell me John Singleton wrote this, i or
2: wrote, I guess, and directed, uh, there's no way I would have guessed it for, because I guess my cultural understanding of John Singleton is someone who is so much more, uh, just has things to say about the way, the, the interplay between black people and the police. And this movie it feels like it fumbles it in a, a way that I'm just like, no, this was a movie made by a white guy, which is awful to say because he's not a white guy. But I'm just like, the, I think the difference between what is Luke Cage would have been and what this is, is the police aspect of it. And I think that's yeah. where it, it becomes a thing where I'm just like, what is Shaft doing?
1: Making him a cop is a strange decision. And obviously he retires from the police like halfway through the movie twice and by the yeah, so right. many times
0: and he he does throw his badge at a judge but right. like he, he retires from the police in the same way that the jerk says he only needs one more object before he can leave <laughs> but like by the end of the movie he's kind of shaft
1: like the, the yeah. shaft we know and love right he's gonna be a private dick it's a yeah. weird
0: origin story for a 55 year old man and <laughs> right. it's like it's he
2: retires, but still keeps a fondness for the police and like their tactics and has like a right, like they not With like the good cop with Vanessa and has right. this one right. He has this one line where he, uh, he says like one more for the road in reference to him using like extra judicial brutality yes! to get uh information. <laughs> I'm like, so you're admitting that cops do this, but you're doing
0: it in a way where it's like, and that's fine. I uh, I, I think I like this movie a lot more than you guys do, although oh. I obviously acknowledge that it's deeply flawed i'm mixed on this movie I, it's very watchable i think it's really really fucking watchable and there are things i find very interesting in it but that is the fundamental issue of the movie is shaft's relationship to these institutions yes which it feels like goes against everything that shaft was originally about was like he's kind of this guy who's stuck in between these two worlds yes and
2: there's oh i i I okay let me just plainly say I, I, I think it's extremely watchable but I also I think the like themes and whatnot in this movie do make it like my first response upon finishing it was I think this movie is evil <laughs> mm-hmm. but like mostly because like in the original Shaft, there is an entire scene about how Shaft would rather work with drug dealers than with the police because they are both treated in the same way and he's like no, I am not, he's like "I like." he has like a sort of uh, rapport with a guy on the police force but he's like I do not help you, I do not work with you you guys can go and fuck yourselves Uh, and in this one, uh, he is not only a cop that retires multiple times but when he does retire, (laughs) he beats up a black drug dealer on the street for like no reason kind of And then there's a a cop driving by that as this is happening, and he sort of like nods to them as like, hey, this is the job. And the cop nods back and you're just sort of like, what? Okay, so this is gonna be subversive. They're gonna comment on this. It's like, no, he's using police tactics. And it's like pro brutality in a way that I'm just like, this isn't Shaft.
0: That scene is so bizarre because Singleton makes such a moment out of it. He goes to these extreme close-ups of their eyes as they're giving the nod to each other. Right, and it's like he clearly does want to call out the weird interplay of this moment, but he doesn't really want to dig into it. That Shaft is essentially weaponizing the systemic racism of the institution to get away with beating the shit out of a suspect. Yes. By getting the white cops to approve because they're like, well, we feel the same way. And he pretty much only brutalizes black men in this yes. movie. Yes. So it's just like, well, what... And Christian Bale. What's, and Christian Bale.
2: Yes. Although that feels like it's like i don't know he slaps christian bale and then christian bale's fine for most of the movie and then it's like drug dealers and just like fucking black henchmen and all these things where it's like the 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 amount of black death in this
0: movie that is caused directly by shaft is psychotic it it is wild how violent he is as a character look all the shafts
1: have gunplay like they all it's like because i was watching this movie and i was like god they're really like shooting the shit out of each other in this movie. there's lots of like you know squibby bloody death in this movie and i was like i had just watched the other shafts they do always shoot each other it's not like it's not there but for some reason they just feel a lot less intense or whatever, a lot less visceral. I think it's because in the originals, it's mostly defensive,
2: and yeah. when it like right. goes wrong, they have a moment where he sort of is like, "Oh my god, all of the damage that's been done to this community," and like the score gets solemn and whatnot. And this one, it's none of that. It's sort of like, uh, "I did what I had to." Uh, and then they move on. They're just like, we don't have time for. Well, and resting also
0: on that us. it's all done with this fucking kind of like wink and a smile, like yes. '90s action hero quippy one-liner kind of like irony and distance, so you know. That's definitely
1: part of it. The, just the general '90s action hero thing of like shoot first, ask questions. Like that is, you know, obviously yeah. just like a prevailing mood. But it's also this like Giuliani era kind of like, well, we have to clean up the streets somehow. Attitude. Yeah. That is like boiling away. It, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. This movie, like you said, Griffin, there's this Singleton script which I think he wrote with uh, Salerno.
0: He brings on Salerno, who at that point is like a big spec script guy, but also had spent time like in the NYPD Blue room. Was known as being like a yeah. good crime writer so he plucks him he's 24 and says like i want a white co-writer i want to be able to get some different perspectives on this they give the script to rudin rudin says this is a fucking mess i'm bringing in richard price to rewrite this right because like this their
1: script i think is more as you say the generational shaft like whatever crime movie the family shafts yeah and and richard price who is uh you know obviously a celebrated a crime novelist and he wrote Clockers which had just been turned into a hit movie or whatever but he's a white guy uh, you know gets brought in and uh, Singleton hates Richard Price Uh, they did not get along and and, Sam Jackson Jackson hates hates him too there's Mm. this
0: weird thing where it was like Jackson and Singleton weren't getting along neither guy was getting along with Rudin and neither guy liked the Prince script yes like they were unified and having the same enemies but also were fighting with each other Jackson and Singleton yes uh
1: basically you know singleton's like he price knows all the cop stuff and he would write that in fine but he doesn't get shaft he doesn't get like the attitude he doesn't get the flavor like he wasn't interested in like spicing the movie up or whatever and so i think sam jackson and singleton just come up with a lot of like riffs which you can feel in the movie like mm-hmm. there are just times
0: where Jackson's like I'm going to do a line like the famous instance though but this is what I was reading is that like Jackson hated all of that shit that he didn't like Shaft being so quippy so like Price mm-hmm. had taken all of that out of the script right and gave it like sturdy bones but then the character was gone and then Singleton would overcompensate and then Jackson would go, That's corny. I'm going to look stupid saying that. So, like the key example of that is the bar scene after the surprise party when he's talking to the bartender. I believe how Price had written his so son. Yes. From, you know, The Wire, many other. She's great. She, she hits on him. And in the script, the Price draft, Shaft goes, eh, I'm tired. I have work in the morning and walks out of the bar. And Singleton throws a fit, and he's like, Shaft would fuck her. Shaft will fuck everybody. You can't have him not fuck her. Shaft is never too tired to fuck. And then which it, is he, not true. Which in, is not true. In Shaft's
2: Big Score there there's a great scene where uh someone's just like I get off at 4 and he's like tr- just trying to get information and she's like upset that he's like I thought your attention was on me he's like I'm in- doing
0: an investigation not right now. <laughs> but this <laughs> d- like doesn't that feel like Singleton seeing this movie when he is single digits and Shaft sleeps with two different women in the first movie and it's like oh my god Two two sex scenes? Shaft fucks everybody.
1: To be fair, he is described as a sex machine. He is described as a sex machine. That's fair. So, you know, a machine. He's literally a machine. There is, there's like
2: a a weird over-sexualization to the character of Shaft that is like clear, but I just think,
0: yeah, he adapted it in a way that uh, makes it feel wrong. But the thing I read is that, so like, Jackson on the day is like, I'm not coming out of this trailer. I'm not shooting this scene. The The way Price is written, it is dumb. It's like lame. And then Singleton comes to his trailer, try to appease him. And he's like, don't worry. I fixed it. I rewrote the scene. Here it is for you it's my duty to please that booty. And and Jackson's like, that's also wrong. And he didn't want to leave his trailer and he didn't want to say that line either. Like Jackson was trying to find some middle ground between the two. And it, by all accounts, it was like they had to drag him out to say that line. Yeah. He was so embarrassed. He hated that it was the trailer line. He still winces. I read some interview with him after Singleton's death where the, the interviewer Like said, like, that's a cool line. He's like, really? No, I'm on his side.
2: I think yeah. it it is such a tonal, like it's a scene that feels like you should cut it out. Yes. Like they were just like, well, Shaft is horny. We need him to be horny.
1: Him flirting with the bartender is just fine. Him saying that, it's like, I, I want her to like turn to the camera and be like, wait, is there, are you being filmed right now? Like, right? why <laughs> did you just say that? It's like, did you write that? Did you Were you
0: writing that in that other room before you came he, here? He, right. <laughs> he pretty much like wiggles his eyebrows at the camera. Like it's... <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I've got, we like, there's
1: all these quotes. Like, it really, it boils down to John Singleton, Scott Rudin, Samuel Jackson, Jackson, Richard Price, all had tension with each other in various directions. You have a lot of people with, you know, like, sort of input on this movie who have a lot of influence, who are all disagreeing with each other. Mm -hmm. Post-production was a nightmare, apparently, like, because Rudin is, like, breathing down people's necks. Um richard i here's a richard roundtree's quote i will say we were just defending that shaft is not that horny and richard roundtree told the national post uh, he doesn't have any sex like he, he was he was
0: mad that there wasn't more sex oh my god um <laughs> uh, it like, is wild that the opening credit sequence is just this james okay. bond style but it's not samuel very Jackson. odd what okay who is what the fuck is that it, it it was it's so weird. They added it like months later and he was off shooting one of 18 movies. Sam Jackson Good probably Lord. shot that year. So it's just a woman <laughs> and some body double who you can tell is not Samuel Jackson. Yes. So you're watching it and you're like is this supposed to be Shaft or am I just watching two strangers have sex? Let's get into the movie because the credits like
1: the opening credits to the original Shaft are a uh, top 10 of all-time yes. opening sequence Icon. in a film. I like the uh, I actually like both of the Roundtree sequels. Neither of them have the Isaac Hayes song as the opening, and the you big score it. one is
0: very good. Though the song on the yes. big score, it, uh,
1: the big score music is so cool. So yes, good. and the song
0: is fun. But 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 let's also acknowledge once again, like talking about how kind of skewed everyone's memory of the original Shaft is, or just from osmosis, what they think it is, the awesome opening credit sequence of the original Shaft is that super fucking cool logo and then just shots of him walking down a real he's, New he's York City around. street. There's there's no crazy stylized, you know, like... That, that's the thing, and like, I
1: don't know who made the decision on these opening credits, but they're like, okay, the, the theme song is back, and you're like, oh yeah, cool, and they're like, Money great, in the bank. So, Right. So, how about like a sex montage over police siren lights? Right. And I'm like, well, Mm-mm. why would that? What? I don't know. It, does he? Is he in the car? Why? <laughs> Just right off the bat, being like, that's not.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just, it feels like that was added because of the whole. Like, this there's not enough sex in this thing. Yes. In this movie, but it it is. It immediately sets a tone of like, okay, this is going to be a sexy movie, and then yeah, the first scene you're like, what the fuck? Why would you do these back to back? And
1: then right, the and then the first scene is this sequence that is kind of a fun, you know, opening to a mystery, you know, to a cop movie, right? Like it's like, okay, there's been this assault. Mekai Pfeiffer is is lying there dead. Christian Bale, like, what happened here? Tony Collette is
0: the waitress. Like, by the way, my first thought was. Did he literally call Makai Pfeiffer and ask him to show up and just lie on the street? Like, before they cut to the <laughs> flashback, I was like, right. that's a big that- favor to cash in.
2: I was like, oh, he must have not been anyone at this point, but...
0: No, but he,
1: he's, uh, he would have been in Cockers. He'd been in, yeah. like, Soul Food. He'd been in, uh, what's it called? He's in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Yes. Was, mm. Right? He's in the second one. Um, You know, like, but... I. I am immediately like, why is Shaft here? Like, Shaft's not a murder, you know, a homicide detective. Like, this is the first
0: sign that they might have miscalculated this movie a little bit. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of signs in that scene where
2: I'm like, oh, I think things are off here. Like, there's a moment where he looks at Tony Collette and I'm just like, oh no, is
0: Shaft gonna fuck Tony Collette? Is that (laughs) why she's here? But I will say this, like this is what I do like about this movie. I do like the central mystery of this film and especially like in relation to watching the other Shaft movies and a lot of movies of this ilk, you know, even in all three eras we're talking about here. Right. Like. The the 2010s, the 2000s, the 70s, where it's like the kind of overcomplicated web of figuring out how to follow the chain and who's actually at the top and what's the thing they're actually trying to do. I like that it's a very kind of like human crime at the center of it. And the thing he's trying to solve is like systemic rot. You know, I do like that. I like that there's not a mystery for him to untangle as much as there is sort of like him trying to figure out how to write this situation. We I, know who did it right. Yeah, go ahead, Dem.
2: I was going to say, I wish that there was more of a mystery because I think the way that he, they handle the rot isn't very good. And it feels like it, it's sort of... I don't know. They have they have several moments where they sort of like show okay these cops are racist, and then they have the moment where like the the uh, case sort of it gets fucked and Christian Bale is let go and he's sort of like he throws his badge into the wall. But from then the way that they pre- proceed makes it seem like his problem is not with policing or, or as much as it is just like with the courts. And by the end of it, you feel like even though he's still not a cop, he's like very much in support of what the cops do. And it's just sort of it's very few bad apples and it doesn't sort of get to the heart of the idea of police handling of racism or why. Like, I think just him leaving uh, the police system is more about him just leaving the justice system. And if if there was a way that he could still be a cop and not have to go to court he would, which is his way of just being like, I, I would love to just kill the bad guys. And I'm like, that's not Shaft. That's
0: not what you're doing. No, this, this weird sort of like vigilante aspect to him. It, when, when he has the badge, it all just starts feeling really uncomfortable in terms of abuse of power, you know? Yeah. And like, David, you were pointing out just how much gun shit there is in the original Shaft movies too. It's like, it's not like these are recent issues, right? It's not like these are things that just have sprung up overnight, but- uh, you know, especially at the time we're recording these, these things are being discussed a lot on a daily basis. As more and more of the country gets vaccinated, suddenly there are once again mass shootings every single day, and we just uh, you know, the the Derek Chauvin trial, like just uh, you know, he he was found guilty just last week. Uh. I do also just find the more I'm thinking about these things, the older I get. I have very much hit a point where I just am getting more and more uncomfortable with this kind of like just kind of extreme gun violence and extreme let the cops do whatever the fuck they want sort of movie making. Even Especially when it's framed as like, oh, but he's cool. Yes.
2: Framing Uh, this guy as a cool cop who's real, the reason he stops becoming a cop is not because he disagrees with the police system as much as it is just like he's upset that the courts uh, presided on this case wrong. Because then I'm like, well, then that's not you being, that's still sort of an abuse of power of you being like, I like the justice system only insofar as... I can use it. So, like, when I can go out to the right. streets and beat up a guy and say shit like lawyers are for punitas or like abusing his power to punish criminals as he sees fit, I'm like, then you aren't like you're, you like, that's the thing that I'm like, okay, you're dig into that. You're problem.
0: Yeah. Yes. Or, or you're parallel to the issues. I also feel like. You're right that it's weird that the ire of this movie is like, well, this kid's so rich and his dad's so well connected that they're going to be able to hire good lawyers and get him off. And also the like, well, there are bad apples everywhere, but almost every cop he deals with is a bad apple. He is also a bad apple. Yes, he's also a bad apple, and he doesn't really recognize the rot of the system itself. He's like, well, no. so many individual bad actors here. The main thing that Christian Bale
1: has against it to get off is that Shaft punches him in the face yeah. at the crime scene, which is not police procedure. Not that I am a defender of all forms, but like he literally brutalizes him at the crime scene. This, yeah. is, this is a little bit on you, John
2: Shaft. Too. I, I really didn't like that moment because I was just like, that is so like... That's so obviously the thing that they should dig into, and like, also just immediately makes you go, like, well, uh, I guess he, Bale does sort of have a defense in that. And like, just I think even just using it as like the way that uh the case goes when like a black cop punches a white guy versus a a cop at all punching a black person, and just like how just there's so many different things in this movie where it's like if they had dug into that, that would be interesting. There's one line where a cop says something to Shaft like, "How about you pick a color, black or blue?" And I was like, "Okay, let's follow that. Let's follow that." And it was just like someone wrote a fun line, and then we're like, "All right, now move on."
0: Right. He he has a quippy comeback. He says, "How about I make you both?" Like it just becomes another way for him to threaten someone and show how powerful he is. I, I, I do think, like, I... God, I would love to read what the original salerno singleton draft is because i wonder if there was an angrier more coherent more political movie here that rudin was just like make this a summer blockbuster just make about a cooler. badass right
1: and but the other problem and i think this was a, is that the there was some decision i've read some interview with jeffrey wright who's in this film playing a character called people's hernandez uh-huh. and we will we will talk about it where they've kind of beefed up Jeffrey Wright and beefed down Christian Bale because yes. they were like Bale is not compelling in this because he he's guilty from frame one and he's just a jerk so let's have the plot be like that he meets this you know local drug dealer and that hires him to kill a witness and like and then we're immediately like that like then Bale is just a non-presence in the story and it becomes Shaft you know being about Shaft invading Washington Heights to kill a Dominican drug lord Like that's yeah. what the movie Is 90% about Yeah again thematically
2: Literally the opposite of a crucial scene In the original where yes. like I do not work with cops I will work with drug dealers instead So just I was like What, what is this plot what is
1: this plot? <laughs> and like Jeffrey Wright's being told like just like as big as possible, yeah. but like fill the room so we know you're bad.
0: I also, right. And, I mean, as you said, I think they cut down bail and they shot more stuff with Wright. Apparently yes. Wright just like popped in the test screenings and they were like, this is the character that everyone thinks is fun. As much of a focus on this guy as possible. Which I get. Yeah, because he's, like, entertaining. I mean, yeah. this is a
1: classic Jeffrey Wright performance in that you're, like, too much, but then you're also kind of like, ah, I mean, it's kind of, it's it's pretty watchable. <laughs> like, I love right. Jeffrey Wright. He's a great actor. He is often way too much paprika on the sandwich, and it's no problem. It's I think like, I said okay. in some
0: previous episode that he is the one actor where it's like, I enjoy eating his sandwich over paprika. Like, it's part yeah. of the spice for him. He's able to give naturalistic performances, but he. He tends to go too hard and that's a little bit of the fun with him
1: you know i mean him in source code the one that paul of Tompkins makes fun of, you know where he's right. like got you know the crutches and the big hair and, and the, the pipe like, oh, like, the source code you know like, right
0: just not enough business bring in more business
1: <laughs> right. i love i love it when he does and then even in westworld where he's playing a robot who is quiet, you're yeah. kind of like, anytime he's on screen, you're like, this is
0: this is way over the top,
1: Jeffrey. Yeah.
0: And he's not even saying anything. He's just furrowing his brow and mumbling. Here's another thing with Jeffrey Wright. Right. He makes mumbling feel like overacting. He also... <laughs> stop yelling, Jeffrey! He's also a guy, and I want to make it clear, I love him. He's one of my favorite character actors. But he's a guy where it feels like anytime he affects any sort of voice for a character, which is almost always... He, he, he kind of wants to show the work, like it mm-hmm. never is. Like, oh, look how well he disappeared into this character. Like even Westworld, where he's like, my guy's kind of gravelly. He sort of it has the same amount of effort as Christian Bale doing a Batman voice. Yeah,
1: well, the, it's also crazy that this is Christian Bale, like right before um American Psycho, right? like, or like yes. right around the same. They're the like, same
0: year, aren't they? <laughs> I it's think wild. American Psycho yes, comes year, out this spring year, and like yeah. these are arguably the two performances that get him Batman. Like that's the most insane thing is he has American Psycho and Shaft this year and then he becomes the internet's fan casting choice for Batman because they're like, look, he plays such a good Bruce Wayne. And it's like, what are you revealing about yourself? that you're <laughs> The guy who's this guy's crazy, like, like psychos, insincere, <laughs> right. like generational wealth, brat psychos. To be your Batman. they just see that he's, he can be rich and crazy and yeah they're like oh his hair slick back crossing. well yeah yeah
1: um I also like looked around because I'm like so Jeffrey Wright's just like doing his thing he's playing a-, a Dominican guy he's doing an accent I googled like to find like so what's up with that like azamo uh yeah well obviously the role was written for John Leguizamo and he was cast uh, and he left I think for Moulin Rouge Moulin Rouge ran uh, over schedule yeah and obviously John Leguizamo would be. A delight in this role John Leguizamo has never not you know enjoyed hamming it up like I'm sure yeah. he would be just what the film is looking for but I like found some interview with Jeffrey Wright where he's like yeah I, I like just knew a guy who, who sounded like that and that's what I was doing <laughs> oh and I was like okay okay Jeffrey <laughs> that's it that's all I could find
2: I recently rewatched Game Night, and uh, Jeffrey Wright has a small role in that. And even in that, he's playing he's like very you know, funny he's, in Game Night. He's so funny, but he's playing an actor who he's playing an actor, and so he overacts the scene. And then even when it drops down, he's sort of overacting in a, in a, like a different level. And you sort of get the tears of how his overacting works in his brain, which is like, all right, overact bad. Now overact the the Jeffrey Wright way, and it's so like interesting to but to see that, and then also watch some other. Like
0: modern jeffrey wright where he's doing the weird forced gravel voice and yeah. i'm like look it's fun but i wonder if you could just like maybe give your throat a break for one movie and just talk <laughs> like yourself because everybody's like listen i want to tell you something like every performance he's like doing this i almost wonder if he was
2: cast specifically to do that to a level and because so, it feels like him making fun of himself when he's just sort of like listen up man
1: yeah. You're like, oh, okay. And then he asks people like what their allergies are. I love uh, what yeah. did you have a nice time rewatching Game Night Demi? I just yes. anytime I rewatch I, Game
0: Night, I have a great time. I think it's fantastic. I think it holds it's up. It's the best. Uh he's yes. So good in that. I was just thinking even Rick and Morty, like they brought him in. He's right. the episode where they're fighting over the toilet, right? Where he keeps on yeah. using Rick's toilet and Rick's trying to get revenge on him. And the bit they're doing is sort of like when they cast Werner Herzog, where it's like cast someone with too much innate gravitas to talk about something really silly. And yes. even then he's like overplaying it. But, but none of this is a criticism. I think he's always No,
2: good. I think th- he has such a strange career in which like, if you say Jeffrey Wright, immediately I think you think of certain roles that would be considered like uh, dramatic and strong and like important roles. But also he has a lot of silly things that he does in his career. Yeah. Where you're like, he's, he's, he seems like he could be a goofball.
0: Probably I also is. think this point in his career, like 2000 is when everyone was like, Jeffrey Wright might be one of the best actors of his generation. Like I do he, feel right, like he there was this- Don Basquiat, right, obviously. Right. And like he's he's gonna do Top Dog, Underdog on Broadway the following mm-hmm. year. Like he's just sort of getting talked about as like this might be like a real, real major guy. And then he didn't have that exact career that I think people were anticipating for him.
2: Yeah. I wonder- I mean, with things like that, I always wonder how much of it is them wanting to specifically be a a certain kind of actor. Because I feel like there are a lot of actors where people are like, they're going to blow up and then it just feels like they really just want to do certain types of acting or like do character things or do things where it doesn't feel like they have to like carry a movie based on being someone who's so adjacent to themselves. Because I I can see him being like, I'll do Basquiat where I can sort of change it up a bit, but I don't want to do a movie. Like I wouldn't want to do, he's like, I wouldn't want to do Westworld
0: Full time or like a, a feature, right? Well, and ba- Basquiat was like his breakthrough, and then yeah. he kind of mm-hmm. doesn't really play a leading man like ever again in that sort of like no. Th- I mean, he played Martin Luther King in that TV movie
1: Boycott, right. which was kind of a you know big deal TV movie or what you know, but like, but that was that and then like obviously he wins the emmy for his angels in america which is him just doing the role he did on broadway right. but he's amazing in that i always contend if that had been
0: theatrically released he would have won the oscar well, for that
1: yeah it's such a good role i mean and then but then like at, in the manchurian candidate when he shows up with the big beard mumbling you're so like mumbling. oh oh this is like what he's going to do in casino royale and right then on and like when he plays colin powell he doesn't have a beard but he's just like i don't know if we should you know like you know that that's just that's what he's good the lead the movie he's a lead in is cadillac records and he's phenomenal oh, in that movie. yes he's oh, incredible Cadillac in records yeah that
2: movie's uh, such a good great
1: one. i think
2: beyonce is very good in that movie
1: beyonce is yeah. amazing
2: that's in that movie. her
0: one like transcendent acting performance where you're yeah. like beyonce should have been a movie star
2: yeah, and it's weird because she's playing, uh, like, what, Etta James, right? Yeah. And it's like she's playing a singer. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to just see Beyonce. But there is a point where I just went, oh, oh right, that's Beyonce.
0: And it, she's yeah. just great. Yeah. Uh, that Jesus. movie is really good. A- Eamon really Walker's good fucking great in that movie. Most Def's great in that movie. Everyone's fucking good in that movie. Eamon Walker is incredible
1: in that movie. So when he shows up movie, right? and he does the first song as Howlin' Wolf and he's like freaking everyone out. It's the best. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I love Just movie. electric shit. And that's like one of the best movies about like this sort of weird tension of white label uh makers and black artists. Yeah. Like anyway, whatever. We're not talking about Cadillac Records, we're talking about Shaft. There's another crazy thing that I guess we should say, I'm sure this played some small role, is that Isaac Hayes had become a huge deal again because he was chef. Like that is kind of he really because Isaac Hayes really had like 10 plus years doing nothing. Like, kind of right. just post out.
0: Escape from New York, he's kind of,
1: yeah. And now he's like, everyone loves Isaac Hayes again. Like, that must have been another reason a studio's like, yeah, we'll give you 50 million bucks to make a hard R shaft remake or shaft sequel, whatever, shaft reboot yeah. with Sam Jackson that's like about him as a guy. Like, it'll have Isaac Hayes up at the top. Like, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I I just forgot about that. And I, I no, no,
0: look, it's fine. You're just talking about Chef. I can dig it. All right. Uh, No, but but I do think that's true. And I do think just like, I remember there being a lot of shaft parodies, especially things using the song ironically Mm -hmm. around... This time in the years leading up to it, like it felt like it had become a cultural meme to a degree that like two, like 10, 11 year old white boys like us, David, could see the trailer and be like, oh, yeah, I know what this is. I think my introduction to Shaft was
2: it being a runner on The Fresh Prince and me being like, oh, I get the idea of who Shaft is. Right.
0: But but all that stuff is this weird abstraction of what Shaft actually is. And this movie is reacting to that and also fulfilling John Singleton's boyhood interpretation of what chaff is. Um, But yes, I do think this... I I understand what you're saying, Demi, that you wish there was more of a central mystery for him to solve. I guess what I want this movie to be in its best form is him figuring out how to navigate this fucked system without just barging into people's apartments and shooting them. Right? Like, I do like that the movie kind of just lays all its cards out in this opening scene, right? You have this thing where you're like starting like deep in media res. Here's a guy lying on the ground. He walks in. Here's a bartender with blood. Here's this clear asshole who's guilty, right? And then you get these flashbacks. Like, I do think the pacing of this is interesting. The structure of this opening is interesting with him casing it. And then how quickly he cannot control himself, punches bail, like gets himself on thin ice. There's something interesting of the setup to me of just like... The whole thing's laid out cleanly, and now he needs to figure out how to make sure justice is served. But the problem is that it doesn't feel like this becomes, look, he's a guy who's willing to break the rules for a greater good. It feels like it becomes, Shaft does whatever the fuck he wants. And then he turns to the camera and winks and goes, I'm cool, right?
2: Yeah, it feels very much like he's not trying to peacefully solve this or, like, it's not like, I, I don't want to see any more blood. It's him being like, don't worry, I got this. I'm, like, cocking a gun and being like, w- what are you going to do? It's like, I'm going to kill people. It's, like, so not uh, a detective film. He's just, he's a, a revenger, yeah. basically. Right,
0: he's like, he's like Charles Bronson in Death Wish. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, all of the
2: revenge is, it's on a guy who's sort of adjacent to Christian Bale. Like, it's not, it's so, like, they bring in this secondary thing because it's so... They have the, the like the case the the main case, but then they bring in people on both sides to be like corrupt cops and like corrupt criminals and whatnot, just to sort of like uh, pad out the movie with people that Shaq I keep I almost call them Shaq uh, that Shaft can just fight. And it's like, so it isn't even about the case at all. It's just about like, all right, now that Shaft has like a a reason, let's give him people to like let's give let's put bodies in this movie that can act as like. Villains, and it's just like you just put basically put a superhero skin on top of this noir thing that you had,
0: right? And once again, rather than a movie that feels like it's designed to be like Shaft fighting against institutional power, it becomes uh, Shaft uh, uh, fighting against inner city thugs, yeah, you know, in a way that is not upsetting to white audiences. That feels like it's very cognizant of trying to appease the weird sort of bloodlust that an audience would feel watching this movie. If totally. you're trying to make it something that could cross over in a fucked, fucked way. Um, it, it's, I, I don't know. It's even like the Vanessa Williams character is bizarre to me because th- this is her period where she's actually like a movie star, right? Like Vanessa Williams, someone who had just been very famous for a long time is Miss America. Then is like stripped of her title because of scandal of her f- nude photos being sold to penthouse and published then she has this like second wave as like a pretty successful musician and then like 1997 she does soul food well, she you know did uh, she does a, does a racer don't forget a racer right so she does like a racer 96 soul food 97 like suddenly it's like oh wait is vanessa williams a movie star now? yeah
1: she's in hoodlum uh which the, the bill duke movie she's in um well she plays the queen of trash in the adventures of elma and Grouchland. so great
0: performance actually actually great performance Good movie. Put Some respect on that name. Uh, i like yeah. that movie um but
1: then post shaft she's uh i mean wh- what's she doing she's she's chilling i don't know she does a lot of tv movies like, it, when she, when she's an Ugly Betty, it's sort of a comeback for her. She kind of disappears. And then,
0: right, she has Ugly Betty, and she does uh, Desperate Housewives, and it becomes like, oh, now Vanessa Williams is playing this camp sort of ice queen character as her stock and trade. This is the end of her, like, sort of real movie star run, and it feels like when she's introduced in your movie, you're like oh, she just does have a real kind of steady presence and integrity to her, and it's interesting to present her as a counterpoint to him where it's like this is a kind of like more by-the-book cop who also isn't square. As you said, Demi, she's sort of presented as being the only good cop yeah. in the entire movie, but then it doesn't ever feel like they ever have anything to do with her. She's just kind of there no. yes. the this, entire this time. This is a sad character in a way because right,
1: if she's around she's sort of the second lead or whatever but like she's second build i couldn't tell you she's got much a lot of screen she time does yeah she's just kind of there i have a sneaking suspicion that they wanted some
2: romantic thing between her and shaft that's what it feels like sure. and then it sort of changed and i don't because it just feels like she's there for no reason but then also has yeah. certain scenes where uh yeah she's supposed to be the anchor like the good cop and I, i'm just like i don't have any faith that they didn't put her in place as, like, the good black cop that can also be, like, and Shaft will fall in love with her or whatever. Right.
0: It's weird that there's no interiority. It's weird that there are no, like, heart-to-heart scenes. Like, I I weirdly want this movie to have the dumb studio notes, like, there has to be a scene where her and Shaft bond, and she talks about why she joined the force in the first place. You know? And what her trauma is that made her decide that she needed to try to maintain justice. (laughs) There's the middle of this movie is a uh, uh, very messy and strange, like post him resigning from
1: the force, and then when we're, when we're just in this sort of muddled kind of like it's also this movie is short, like this movie is ninety minutes, nine maybe a hundred minutes, like it's pretty fast.
0: The weirdest stat in the world is that the Tim Story movie is the longest of the five Shaft movies. It feels like It is bad. the only one. <laughs> That tickles two hours. <laughs> sounds mm. bad, I gotta say. It's but like, like 155 or something. Well, when yeah. you got it, three shots in a movie. That's true. Yeah, said,
1: and and also wait and wait, but also Regina Hall, right? Like is, is Regina she yes, Hall Regina Hall plays
0: the mom. Okay. She plays the mom, but she does not get into the action. It's a bummer. Because the poster very much makes you think that she's gonna be the fourth shaft. And she is not. She shows up and says, like, I, I hate you, you're a bad dad. Yeah. Uh right. no, but
1: like so in the middle of this movie, it's like, okay, here's like R- Ruben Santiago husband uh Hudson and Dan Hedaya as like crooked cops. Here's like Lee turgeson who's in oz at the time is like not a crooked cop but a racist but a good yeah. cop or something like like whatever that character
0: but is. also not that good he couldn't blow that lock yeah he would he wait for the guy to open the door and then they're like
1: and then of course buster rhymes as like shafts like comical like sort of sort of sidekick tech guy is valid yeah, yeah. Like, right what is like, and like I and and which is this is the time like I like, I just watched Halloween Resurrection, which J- Buster Rhymes is the lead of. I did not realize oh, yeah. he was the lead. I don't know if you guys have, mm. uh, and he he karate kicks, um uh Michael Mike Michael Myers and says like you know, booyah motherfucker
0: or whatever. Uh, Buster Rhymes is kind of everywhere. Let's also acknowledge that in 1998 he was the voice of the Reptar Mobile in Rugrats. That is true. Right, he was he was working i think on
1: a cartoon show uh at the time he was tr- buster rhymes i think was really like yeah he was working on a cartoon series with missy Elliott at the time which i guess never came to fruition it's like he's he's just like i'm going to be everywhere like it's going to be buster rhymes
0: all the time and, uh, and and Singleton had already used him in higher learning. Yeah. And this felt like him being like, I think maybe Buster Rhymes could be a movie star. I'm going to give him a real part. And they like set him up in this movie as if he's the fan favorite character. Right. Where down to the like, fact ah! that he gets the last lines. Yeah. The, the end of the movie is just him ADRing a bunch of riffs. Yeah. And you're just like, I don't know. He's okay. <laughs> well, just like these scenes
1: in the middle where like Shaft is dragging Tony Collette and... One of her like big beefy Italian brothers or whatever to Buster Rhymes's house, and then there's like a scene where it's like, "Oh, you live like this?" And Buster Rhymes is like, "Don't worry about it, like you know." And he's like cleaning up his house. He must have tested well. <laughs> yeah. like, it must have t- right. People must have been like, "Hey, like this is funny," because like this is a d- weird, complicated movie that's mostly glancing a- off of things. Like Shaft says, "Giuliani time." Which is what, like, you know, cops had supposedly said before torturing someone in a famous, like, 90s crime case. Like, but then, like, it's
0: just like you say, it's just a drop in. It's just like a weird joke. But once again, I just want to repeat, he says it at the Lennox Lounge before walking into a surprise birthday party to Gordon Parks, right? Is it Gordon Parks, the one he says it's Giuliani time? No, he he said he said i misremembering that
2: he says it after shooting the two crooked cops and then like putting like, just like
1: uh, fucking oh, right. rocking his gun again and going yeah. off. To... He says it when he's going to do some violence. Right?
0: Does it, doesn't he say something weird to Gordon Parks though? I think he does. He calls him Mr. P uh, or Mr. I know he calls him Mr. P. Yeah.
1: I can't remember. Uh, he does say something to him, but I that the Lennox lounge scene, which we already talked about is another weird scene where it's like weirdly drawn out. Like where it's like a surprise birthday and he's, I don't like there's scenes in here where I'm like, strip this out and put more meat into the central thing. Yeah,
2: I liked yeah. the act of the fake out as like, a, oh, that's a fun way to do it. But I was also just like, why? <laughs> What's the point of just a way to get the uncle cameo in there or dad cameo? I guess so.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's uncle dad. Odd. I
2: mean, I was right. just because we brought it up. I was stunned by that Giuliani time moment. Just I was like, well, that sounds awful. And then I looked it up being like, I'm sure people have written about this. And then I was like, oh, I didn't know that this is what they said while torturing a man. So it feels like uh, almost like actively endorsing police brutality in a way. Like It's sort of it's a reference that I feel like they wanted people to
0: cheer at. I mean, he, this is a thing I find kind of inherently thorny about this movie, right? And especially when you consider that, like, so much of the tension stemmed from like Richard Price and Rudin, who it felt like were trying to maintain the ability for this film to be as uh, mainstream as possible, yeah. right? Because it's like you are making a $50 million ostensible franchise movie that's going to be released in the middle of the summer, right? Like, this is a July release. This was June. set up to... June? June. June. June 16th. June. I remembered yep. it being July. I, I guess I was applying sort of uh, Sully goggles onto it, thinking they should have done in July. Thank you. But, um, but it feels like, you know, one of the many, many things that have uh, come out In all of the uh, uh, Justice League uh, Bruja, right, is uh, that in executive uh, boardroom Warner Brothers meetings after Snyder screened his original Snyder cut and saw how much Cyborg was positioned as the lead of the film and how much Cyborg was like tortured and not avuncular in the movie, that apparently the head of Warner Brothers said, This is disastrous. We can't have an angry black man at the center of our big blockbuster, which I a hundred percent believe they said in those words, right? Didn't they have, like, a dinner
1: where they were like, if he doesn't say booyah, I mean, like, what are we even gonna do? Like,
0: that's millions in merchandise. Like, they had, like, some awful presentation where they like, like, he simply must say booyah. And their thing, I think they said to him was, can you play it less like Frankenstein and more like Quasimodo? And he's like, what's the difference? And they're like, well, Frankenstein's bummed out, but Quasimodo's got a good heart. Oh, I guess so. Quasimodo's pretty bummed out, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't know, but just... Like whatever, whatever, they Mark. literally were like giving him notes, like walk more like Quasimodo than Frankenstein, who's scary. All this shit. Right. Super fucked up. But I do I do wonder if there was a calculation here on this movie where it's like you kind of need from the from the white executive standpoint and Rudin and everybody, if they're like if Shaft acts like an abusive white cop does that make him more palatable to white audiences rather than being threatening? Because it is odd how often he veers into the worst behavior that, like, that mirrors specific incidents and stuff. But there yeah. are
1: like stories about how mad the cops were that he said Giuliani time. It's such a... 2000 is a crazy different time in terms of yes. like, and, like... And they were just like, how could you even bring that up? How could you even mention that? Like, you know, we, you know, don't even bring that
2: up. It feels like a line that they write thinking, okay, well, people will recognize it as a reference and that's enough for it to be a joke. We don't have to talk about the meaning behind it. But for Shaft to be a cop who says, it's Giuliani time, feels like an inherent endorsement of that. Even though it's just like- He
1: comes off bizarrely.
2: Yeah, and I think in their best, like my best interpretation of it is it's him killing two cops who have been like brutalizing people and him saying it's Giuliani time almost as like a, Oh, it's Giuliani time on you guys, but he also he says it afterwards as he's loading a gun as if he's like, All right, now time to do some police brutality. And I'm just like, What a what a huge
1: misfire. E- exactly. I think yeah. as you say, like the, but that also the the characters of these corrupt cops are bizarre, where they're kind of chummy and they're kind of like, Hey, what are you gonna do? And then they're Dan like Dan Hadaya is a e-
0: crazy casting choice for this by the way i mean this is another reason where i why i'm just kind of like against better judgment a little bit in the tank for this movie (laughs) is it just like a it's nice to just watch like a big summer blockbuster movie that was squarely aimed at adults, yeah. right? This sort of like highbrow popcorn sort of shit, like trashy pulp, but also not meant for children. Totally. Uh, the the other part of that is this movie is just fucking stacked. It is with so crazy. Actors.
1: I mean, like Elizabeth Banks. Did you spot her? Like as yes. one yeah. of the friends in in the the dinner
0: scene. I think it's her first film performance. Yeah. Yes.
1: An- Andre Royo the guy from uh, who plays bubbles the in the wire was mm-hmm. a doorman at the Cheetah Club and Singleton like came to the club and Royo like parted the red sea for him you know and was like Yeah Hey, like, let me get you around, and and then said like, hey, I want to be in Shaft, and Singleton was like, you got it, and they that's no like way. the start of
0: his career. It's wild, yeah. But then you have like you have Philip Bosco and like Daniel yeah, Van Bargen it, and right, these guys,
2: Ruben Santiago Hudson, who then writes Ma Rainey's Black
0: Bottom, right? Like it's it, it's just a wild uh, grouping of people, but it's also just such a pleasure to watch a movie like that where you're just like, oh, every scene, someone's a ringer or someone who goes on to become. A ringer and it's just someone getting to have fun like not being burdened with having to carry expositional weight as much as being like flavor you know Um, but it, it is a film that feels like it's very much at odds with itself which makes sense when you hear how much everyone was fighting about what the movie should have been
1: I think it's just a mess I just don't know what I'm supposed to take away from the ending where shaft does all this kills all these people Kills lots and lots of people to get Tony Collette to safely, you know, safely to justice. And meanwhile, we've got, you know, Christian Bale gets like an ice pick through his hand just so like he can get hurt. Because like the whole point of the movie is that Shaft is working really hard to put Christian Bale in jail. Right. But nothing about the movie's tone suggests that they want... It It wants Christian Bale to, like, get his head chopped off. Like, you know, this right. movie is lurid, and this movie is, like, kind of angry, and this movie is, like, take justice into your own hands, Shaft. And so at the end, we got this kind of, like, ironic twist of the
0: the, the mom shoots him. Lynn Thigpen, okay? Great actor. Yeah, yeah. Best known as the chief from Where the World is Carmen Sandiego, uh, mm. especially at this period of time, is this sort of, like... Supposed to be a kind of emotional linchpin of the movie where she is Mackay Pfeiffer's mother. And that's it. Shaft is kind of like holding her at all of these hearings, promising her that justice will be served in some way. And then you get this ironic twist ending where she just, despite the fact that he's leading her up the stairs and going like, it's finally going to work this time. I promise you. I have the witness. It's all good. Right. Right. She just shoots Christian Bale like six times in cold blood and is just like, well, that worked out. And it's like at that point you realize like, oh, she hasn't really spoken this entire movie.
2: No, it feels like it feels like such a twist because you also kind of go like, oh, I remember her now because they just sort of did away with her.
0: They didn't really actually give her enough real estate.
2: No. And I think it's a very good and like a complicated ending, but it feels like the ending that goes... Uh, at the end of a better movie, a, a yeah. movie that also doesn't. No, sort of... no,
1: that's exactly right. It's like this is the ending to a movie that is not about Shaft, like mowing down motherfuckers so he can get the witness. Yeah, like, like, and also, it just like. The
2: entire idea of him being like, I don't believe in the courts, so I'm throwing my badge against the wall and spending the rest of the movie being like, I have to protect this witness so she can testify in court so we can yes. do this properly. And it's like, then you do believe in the court system. What is your game here? Right. You, it's like he wants to operate outside the law, but he also operates. Uh, he still insists that proper punishment is doled out by the justice system in this one case. In every other case, he's like, I will just shoot the guy. And it's so strange.
0: It's funny that the badge throw is probably this movie's biggest special effects shot. And I really remember yes. that being the money shot in the trailer. It's huge in the trailer. It's the right. only yeah. instance of style.
1: Yes. Yeah, because the movie's kind of glossy and like has no, like I think Singleton consciously was like it shouldn't look like the original, which like, OK, but the original looks really good. And this kind of yeah, just there's still looks, a... you know, slick and whatever. It looks OK.
2: I kind of wish that if they were going to adapt the cultural perception of Shaft, they sort of should have adapted it visually as well just like in not even like it being like a 70s or funk thing but in just sort of like having a very special way to shoot it like using just like analog zooms or something or just fucking like the the badge throw is such a stylistic choice that i'm like well that's the shaft movie i want to see something that has like a flare to it where you're like that shaft baby like if you're gonna do that with the character just do it with the whole thing
0: It is weird. I mean, like they do shoot this movie in New York, right? Like it has the location stuff. Yep, right of real locations of real New York City and whatever. Whereas the fucking Tim Story Shaft is shot in Atlanta and feels like it was, you know, shot in a ziploc bag. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's funny also in particular to me because. Uh, Singleton is two years away from doing Too Fast, Too Furious, which is the most fucking stylized movie in the world, right? Right. Which is a movie that turns people off at the time because they were like, do less, dude. Like, (laughs) calm the fuck down. And, I mean, I'm excited to rewatch that movie for this because I think weirdly – Culture has perhaps caught up to Too Fast, Too Furious, and whereas that was the black sheep of the franchise, now the franchise has sort of come back around to where Too Fast was, where it sticks out less. But that was yeah. very much him being like, "I'm going to take this like kind of gritty, like boilerplate crime uh, uh, drama and turn it into like speed racer." I wonder what,
2: I wonder if before he died, he got to talk about the legacy of the Fast and Furious franchise and how it's sort of, like, I, I wonder if people sort of re, uh, what's the word? Just sort of, we had a culture, cultural reevaluation of that movie, and he gets to go like, yeah, all right, so
0: fuck you guys, or what? I, I think totally. it must have happened, and like, I, I mean, he still had to deal with most people saying like, well, that's definitely the worst, but also it's like, Ludacris and Tyrese become like two of the biggest characters in this whole fucking franchise. So much of what he established mm-hmm. is in, intrinsically in the DNA of where it goes. Oh, jaw rules out. And the flashiness
1: of it. And and like the ja, yes, but but like that movie, it's weird because it was a huge hit and yet no one really cared for it people kind of it hated in, it. Right, it was immediately seen as like, "Well, you ruined a fun thing because there's no yeah. fucking Vin Diesel right. here." Right. To
0: the degree that they're like Okay, let's make a third one that only costs like thirty million dollars and has no returning actors. That it felt like Singleton, you've killed the mainline franchise, and now Fast and Furious is just a brand name for cheap actors and cars.
1: And yeah. yet, when they bring back the whole gang in you know Fast Five, like it's like, yeah, too fast, and furious is, is a linchpin for us. Like right. that's that's crucial to what we're gonna set up here. And it's like it's a you're, as you say, it's like a weird ten years later. Like, yeah, actually, thanks for that. Like, you know, you actually put a lot of stuff in the water that we actually needed like but
0: i also i mean i i remember reading interviews with it we'll talk about this movie so much in two weeks but i remember (laughs) reading interviews with him where he was so defensive about that movie where he was like i don't know people thought that i had lost the plot because i didn't make what they imagined when they heard john singleton does too fast too furious which is probably a harder edged fast and furious movie and he was like no i was just like really into anime at the time and i wanted to make a movie that looked and felt like anime crazy Um, But that's why this movie being relatively, uh, I don't know, restrained stylistically is odd Uh, because he also I mean, even when I going back and reading interviews from the beginning of his career after Boys in the Hood, he always talked about like, I'm very afraid of being pigeonhole as the sort of like small budget social issues drama guy the kind of kitchen sink guy like I want to make big genre movies I want to make blockbusters I want to make everything that he very much felt like he wanted to prove to people that he could do these types of movies uh, where this movie is like an audition for him to continue doing that in his career also a like reclamation project for his career up until that point in time but then kind of dooms the rest of his career right It's
1: a hit, too. It's like an unambiguous hit, but no one wants to touch Shaft.
0: I don't know. It's weird. By the time it comes out, Jackson's doing interviews, and he's saying, I'm definitely going to play Shaft again, but with a different director. Ooh. Ooh. Like, he's like, no question, this is my franchise. I'm going to keep doing it. Jackson's so interesting to me because he's, like, such a straight talker, and I feel like when you read interviews with him, he's very much like, I'm the least pretentious guy in the world. It is ridiculous that people pay me millions of dollars to act. I'm never going to turn down a job. My career didn't take off until I was, like, 40. I'm a pro. I know how to make anything work. I like popcorn, you know? Like, he always talks about, like, I don't love making dour, serious movies because that's not what I like to watch. I'm I'm ready to do heady, heavy theater. But in a movie, I want to make something that people enjoy and want to go see on a Friday night. And he's like pretty good at most of the time delivering above his weight class and not feeling like he's phoning it in. I think weirdly Shaft 2019 is one of his most phoned-in performances. Like, that's the one that feels really cynical to me. It's very
2: cynical, but I do recall watching it and feeling like, I think I'm having fun watching him do this, but I think it's because it's so... It's like... It's an adaptation of what we know of Shaft, and it's Mm -hmm. an adaptation of what we know of Samuel L. Jackson, but sort of subverted in a way. Like, it starts with... Here's what you know about Samuel L. Jackson, so you know that the arc he has to go through is like, well, maybe that's not who he should be and it is sort of like fun to watch in a way because it's just it's him having fun with his own image but under this sort of guise of we have to tell a story about Shaft and I'm like it's not this isn't a Shaft movie this is a This is a what you know of Samuel L. Jackson movie becoming the actual Samuel L. Jackson.
0: Other fucking weird thing about that movie is it's like, okay, now we're going to do the generational family legacy shaft movie, except we're going to retcon Roundtree into being his dad instead of his uncle. There are six years difference between Jackson. Six years, six years age difference between Jackson and Roundtree. So That's like, actually no. crazy. Yes, Jackson
1: is seventy-two and Roundtree is seventy-eight. That's psycho. But you know what? I could see Shaft having a kid at six six years old. He's pretty cool. I
2: don't. Know. I can see him. I can see him being twenty-four and just adopting an eighteen-year-old. Being like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get this kid out of the system. I'm going to take <laughs> your name's yeah. John Shaft
1: too." Was like it is. Yeah. All right.
2: like, I, I had a name. <laughs> I've had a name for several. Okay.
0: No, no, you didn't have a name and you didn't have a game, and now both are Shaft. but yes the age difference is slight I feel like you know Sam Jackson is someone who's kind of always played younger especially because it took him a while for his career to take off culturally people think of him
2: look 72
0: yeah he always seems like he's 45 years old yes he does not look like he's 72 at all the Tim Story movie is weirdly I would argue the oldest he has ever looked and seemed on film and I think a lot of it has to do with that movie just being bad but that's a movie where you're just like him and Roundtree are the same age like they're giving Roundtree gray hair and they're dyeing Jackson's goatee but they're the same age here and they like Tree's only in the last 15 minutes of the Tim Story movie he unsurprisingly is the best part of it this sounds like the worst fucking. <laughs> it's so bad it's so bad it
2: plays like they want you to be like whoa twist cameo but then they it, it's like in every trailer and it's on the right. poster and you're like well, just to have him there for more of the movie. I don't know for it's the so
0: marketing it felt like the hook for the movie was he's gonna be in the whole thing he's not gonna be just yeah. the uncle at the bar like he was in the Singleton movie and then he's kept till the very end like he's. Fucking Bruce Willis and G.I. Joe retaliation, but Mm. the the whole movie is about how Shaft was this fucking deadbeat dad. And then it's like well now you're introduced to the other deadbeat dad who is the original Shaft and they make this joke where he's like don't be so hard on yourself you were a good dad once you stopped pretending to be my uncle and it's like once he stopped pretending to be your uncle so when when you were 60 <laughs> right. he's still your uncle in this movie and you're close to retirement age
1: but is he how how old is Shaft supposed to be in this movie we don't know
0: I don't know I don't know And also the timeline of the fucking the other shaft, the the Tim Story shaft, is that he has uh, Jesse T. Usher, whatever his name is, like 10 years before this movie, I think. That kid is yeah, bored it, sometime in the 90s. It
2: ha- yeah, the way that it tracks, Shaft has a kid in this movie, and also just we don't hear about his love life or the fact that he is a father.
1: Right. Right. Well, it is because it's his duty to please the booty, and, you know, so like that's getting in that's the right.
0: way. David, David, he repeats the line. He repeats oh, the line. God. They make it as character. That's, like, that's true. Right. That's
1: like. The Expendables, where like, Bruce Willis is like, uh, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, or whatever, and you're just like, God, how much money says did you
0: I'll demand? Yeah. <laughs> right? St- St- Stallone yells out Adrian in the middle of a scene.
2: <laughs> that would be good. That would be straight up good if he did that. The very first, uh, I'm remembering... The very first scene of Samuel L. Jackson's In Shaft 2019, I'm realizing, is him opening the door to his private uh, investigations office and there's glitter on his face. And then you see that there's a woman who has glitter on her chest that he's been motorboating, I guess. So they just like, right out of the gate, want you to know, like, Shaft, you know, Shaft has sex. Don't worry about that. And it's like, okay, uh, but what does that have? It's just it's they it's still so much an adaptation of what we know of shaft that it gets in the The way of of proper yeah
0: it's also just so bizarre that that movie is ostensibly a fairly hard r but it also has the aesthetics and energy of a 90s tim allen family comedy yes like it 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 feels like jungle to jungle it feels pg-13 right uh and it's so much about like fatherhood and shit but that's this weird thing is like Well, when they announced that and you went like, oh, modern shaft, that that sounds cool. Make a modern shaft. Then when Sam Jackson was announced, you're like, so it's a sequel to the Singleton Shaft, which weirdly was unsequelized, which kind of felt like they could have just made three more of these. And maybe they would have figured out the formula at some point in time. Yeah, I also think I vaguely
2: I vaguely remember that they remixed the theme song. They don't just play the theme song as normal,
1: which that's the that's the easiest part yeah don't do it just they, just hit
0: play just go to itunes yeah. theme from shaft hit play there's also a big gun <laughs> shootout set to be my baby um okay but but that that weird fucking it thing it all like, sounds like a bummer everything is such a bummer yeah. it's such it, a bummer really is. Uh, but but that it is a sequel to this movie that is totally so disconnected from that movie that retcons the relationship between the two previous shafts in that and that it's like a sequel to a movie that no one remembers, which is more trying to comment on the cultural perception of what Shaft is. But as you said, also more that anything is just making a comedy using Samuel Jackson's persona yeah. as if it's like analyze this. And it's like, well, you've seen this guy play these types of roles before. It's right along with Shaft.
1: Yes, Right, it's right. It's it's anodyne versus this movie. You're like, oh my god! Like this movie has so many hard swerves and right. is like yeah. so weirdly charged and doesn't land a lot of it. But whereas this movie you're describing just sounds lame. Did you guys know that Samuel Jackson was in seven movies in 2019?
0: Okay, can we try to guess the seven movies? Please, in Please, please go ahead. Uh, in 2019. 2019. So he, so he's in Shaft. That's the gimme.
1: Yes. Yeah. Avengers Endgame he is in Avengers Endgame he walks along a
0: porch is Captain Marvel that same year yes okay so that's three okay okay um oh uh Rise of Skywalker he
1: is thank you I thought you might not get that does it does a voice he tells Rey that she's the one or whatever they all tell her at the end there
0: Okay, um, David. Is there another franchise film in the mix, or have we knocked out the franchises where he had obligatory another
1: franchise film that you are Spider-Man forgetting. Far From Home? There you go. He did three
0: of them that he year. he did three yeah. of them that year. Well, of course, and he did. All kind of super different performances, yes. I will say. One of them, like, he's playing a parody of himself. He's playing an alien yeah, impersonating him. <laughs>
1: right. Yes. Uh, you have two more to go. Awesome. Okay. One is a big um, movie that we covered on this podcast, and one is a movie that no one ever heard of. It's a big oh. movie we covered on this podcast. Glass, yeah, where he's glass. Wow. Mm. Of course. What, what are we? Forgetting? And then the last what movie is it's a war movie.
0: Oh, is it the what's it called, the last full measure? That's right. That's okay. right. Okay. Oh, where you're like, oh, oh I, I, guess I was Samuel Jackson was in a war movie. Yeah. Oh, this is the thing. Busy man. This is the thing I was going to say before I got distracted by five other things I was going to say. So so he has this very unpretentious attitude of like people offer me a part. I'll do it. Right. And he's also known for just being the most prepared actor. Like, that's the thing everyone says about him is he just shows up the first take is perfect and he is like you got 3 takes and he doesn't yeah. suffer fools gladly and he gets really frustrated when people aren't professional and there was some new york times piece on him that's really fascinating where it, it, a lot of it's talking to his longtime agent or manager and just saying that they have to call him once a week and like calm him down and go like sam you can't expect everyone to be as professional as you are you will never be happy With that expectation, but he's a guy just like hits his marks, gets his lines, knows his relationship with the camera, nails it like from the get go and then wants to go play golf. Right. Like, it's just like, this is my job. I clock in my clock out. Let me go play golf. Um, But uh, he there are interviews where he clearly gets kind of defensive about the ways in which he feels like he has not gotten enough respect in the industry. And when he does, he goes like, I don't know. You tell me like he sort of refuses to acknowledge the thing. And so there's a famous, what I remember when, uh, uh, after Django came out and that movie was clearly kind of designed to be like maybe a, a supporting actor play for him. And then he got no precursor noms and Christoph Waltz wins the fucking Oscar. Mm. And I remember him doing some Oscar season thing and they're like, well, this is sort of like an Oscar play for you. And he's like, I don't know. No one's nominating me. So I guess it isn't like sort of like bitter about it. And then I found I some YouTube rabbit hole watched the interview he did on Howard Stern right after this movie came out. And the movie was a hit, right? It opened at number one. It opened big. It kind of dropped off quickly, but like opening weekend, it seemed like an unqualified hit. Uh, And now it was a hit, right? Jackson has his franchise. Here's a big summer movie. He's the only guy above the title. He's playing this iconic character. He'll get to keep on playing these. And, uh, you know, Stern is asking these questions where he's like, well, this is like huge for your career, right? And he's like, I don't know. You tell me. And he's like, I mean, this is like you're the only guy on the poster. You get, like, the girl. You're, like, getting the action. You're going to make a ton of these sequels. Like, that has to change your perception in Hollywood where you've mostly been the, like, supporting guy or the second lead or the funny dude or whatever. And he's like, I don't know. We'll see. And he had this very kind of, like, I'll believe it when I see it kind of attitude. But it is interesting to think about that, like, he was kind of proven right that this like didn't really bear out into other films like this you know he's got a couple others but he pretty much goes back to shit like as you said like rules of the game and basic where it's like he's one of three people he's one of two people
2: i think a lot of that is him being a longtime actor in hollywood but also recognizing that even like as a lead he's still like a black man and he he'll have to like audition for the rest of his life and have totally. to do all these things where like I'm not, he's not he doesn't want to go on the radio and be like hell yeah I'm a star now because as soon as he says that people will be like this guy seems like he's full of himself yes. we can't no. we don't want to do that I think that's also just how he's maintained such a professionality he's like he's like I have to be the kind of guy who shows up and people are like he's going to deliver and yeah. that's the only way I can continue to work I think that mentality also gives him this thing of like I can't turn down a job because I at any point my career could be over
1: right the only movies I can think of that he is the lead snakes on a plane lead are snakes on a plane and coach Carter. Like there's really like almost nothing else. Like where it's like Samuel L Jackson. That's it. Damn. Yeah. And snakes on a plane obviously became this kind of like parody, of samuel jackson being in movies or that's what people wanted it to be and then it's actually just kind of lame but like that was the fun of that whatever that marketing Uh, experience
0: demi you're you're 100 right that is the subtext of all those interviews there are also times where he does go off in that way you're saying he can't do where i know like he's done interviews where he's like i should have won the fucking oscar i feel like he's very playful when he does it though yeah, he's playful. Yeah. He jokes about it, but he's like... Yeah. Like, fucking Pulp Fiction's on T-shirts who talks about Martin Landau and Ed Wood. Uh, you know, a statement of a guy who clearly has never listened to Blank Check, uh, where I talk about Martin <laughs> Landau and Ed Wood constantly. But but he's like, he has that attitude, and he also loves to flaunt the fact that I think he is now, especially with all the Marvel movies, the highest-grossing actor of all time. Like, by, by yeah. leaps and bounds. By so much, because of the Marvel movie. I mean, that's... I think right. he's
2: someone who only wants to comment on public perception or what is, com- is like publicly accepted. as like no one would fight him on this. Like he he'll say like, yeah, Pulp Fiction was one of the biggest fucking movies of the of that year, but right. he's not going to say it the year it comes out. He'll be like, right, uh, we'll and see. it's
0: like, and it's because of me. And Travolta was the one who got to be the star for years yeah. and years after that. You know, uh, I I mean, I feel like he does often sort of say like. I maybe should be paid more. I maybe should have gotten nominated for more Oscars. Like he kind of has that vibe to him, but it's true. It's like, I I don't know. It's such a weird, fascinating career. I feel like in lieu of an Oscar, he's accepted what
2: may be a greater like award, but just sort of being like one of the only actors who's uh, sort of his personality is as uh, castable as him as an actor, like you can yes, put him in a both. slot and he'll be like dependable and he will n- nail the thing. But you can also write a thing where you're just like, this is a. It's only can be Samuel L. Jackson, or it's like like his role in the other guys are just such a parody of Samuel L. Jackson, where it's like you can. There's like so many people you can put in that role, but it's like it's got to be Samuel L. Jackson or or like a Samuel L. Jackson type, where it's like he he is a bankable star, but also can play himself and it's just like you will cast him being like we just need himself or you can get him and have like a fucking glass type role like or old boy or django and Chain. Right. it's like he, right. he yep. can do so many things but he doesn't need to get like awards recognition for it because culturally i think he's already gotten that he'll definitely get like an honorary award at some point.
1: He will and he might eventually write like do some prestige movie where the yeah. Oscars are like, "Oh, oh, we'll shake off the dust and be like, we've decided it's time for you to win an Oscar." But that's that annoying yeah. Oscar thing where they've decided, quote exactly. of, you know, like and that that just kind right. of comes off terribly half the time.
0: It does feel to me like both Django and especially Hateful Eight, were designed to try to get him an Oscar. Like, Tarantino was like, enough's enough. Now, Django, that's a really fucking tricky character. It was unlikely that was going to work, even though I... Like, think he he should have gotten nominated, possibly one for that, just because the character is so off putting. But that's example yeah. demo of what you're talking about, where he was just like, I'm gonna drop the Samuel Jackson shit and give you like full investment into a character in the reality of this movie. And then Hateful yeah. Eight feels like it's a movie designed just to showcase everything he can do, but the movie doesn't connect.
1: His movies have made twenty seven and a half billion dollars worldwide. But that's bananas. crazy. It's pretty good. He's it's the number wild. one. number. Number 2 is Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Number 3 is Tom Hanks and number 4, of course, we know her, we love her, Scarlett Johansson. I don't know. So Scar- Marvel yeah. movies have thrown everything off, you know. Yeah. I how how
2: many people of the top 10 are not in the MCU?
1: Great question. Uh, I'm I'm looking now. I'm looking now and it's two. It's cool. Tom Hanks and Harrison Ford. That That's sucks.
2: It. That sucks. I'm honestly shocked Harrison Ford hasn't been in the mcu honestly i know
1: that's actually a good i, I actually had to think for a second where i'm like wait does he play like a space cop or something like i, I f- did i forget like in my
2: head he's he's uh tommy lee jones's role in first avenger but I right he you.
1: might as well be not that tommy
0: Lee jones didn't yeah. knock the house but uh yeah tom cruise is now 11th that's behind wild. chris oh. pratt
2: And I'm sure that kills him.
0: It's the number of Marvel movies and the fact that everyone's in so many of them that that fucks the stat up. But then you have to think that Samuel Jackson was already number one before the marvel universe right. started because he also has yeah. fucking jurassic park and three star wars movies yeah. and like yeah it's just it fucking and like the incredibles and like yeah. you know yeah. like all kinds of shit but it I is mean, look. it is fascinating yes i mean i think we sort of have been talking about like this movie feels like it's among other things trying to be the culmination of here is what the samuel L. jackson movie star persona is codified into its own franchise. And then uh, 19 years later, they make a movie that's essentially just parodying that. And both of them become weird non-starters for his career. Which is wild, because I do think they could have made a movie, like an original character
2: that was just, it's Samuel L. Jackson. And that might've done just as well. I yes. think Samuel L. Jackson is maybe as, if not more recognizable than Shaft.
0: Uh, I, I, yeah, yes. at this point, point though it's like the right moment culturally to combine the two things even totally. though it probably would have behooved him better to just be like let's create our own shaft type character oh
2: i mean i mean by the point of like 2019 when that oh, one comes by out. 2019 it makes
0: no fucking sense yes. especially when you're just like wait a second it's a it's a movie about legendary character john shaft the second being yep. a deadbeat dad i forgot what that guy's quirks are um, the
2: last decade of this industry has been such a panic of them trying to be like, we just need some sort of recognizable name to get
0: 10% of the audience.
2: And then yeah. from there on, we'll trust that you can get more. It doesn't matter how connected the property is or how big the audience might be.
0: Can I say one one final thing about this movie before we get to the box oh, office please. game? That's like a thing I both like about this movie and find frustrating, but I always get roped into it. Few things get me more excited when watching a film when I feel like, oh man, this story is like branching out. It's getting expansive, right? Because like I-, I feel like the most satisfying thing to me is when a movie is able to set like 15 plates spinning at the same time narratively and somehow make them all convene in a satisfying way. And that, that weird second act we sort of talked around, that sort of formless of this movie, I, I do get a charge from it because it's when the story starts to unfold, even though it ultimately has no idea what to do with any of the things it's setting up. But when it's like, okay, you've set up Peoples as this alternate track, then the two of them get put in the, the cell together— Then there's the weird thing of like Bale trying to hawk the jewelry to hire him to kill Tony Collette, the search for Tony Collette, Bale being beholden to him and needing to sell his heroin because also they paid off Hedaya. Like there's this moment where the movie feels (laughs) like it's becoming the wire and trying to show the entire spider web. And it's like, as you said, the Lin Thigpen ending is interesting in and of itself It's the ending to a movie that this film is fundamentally not. And it also makes this film feel kind of unsatisfying because it's just like, well, the movie was just about a lot of shit ramping up and never really happening while this one guy just flew to Switzerland and tried to skate by. Yeah, I feel like if it even I mean,
2: it wouldn't be a fix, but if it had ended in some way where it's like either Tony Collette does not testify or like something goes something happens that makes it clear that Christian Bale is going to get away with it and then the like thing lig- Lynn Figpin stuff happens you kind of get the sense of like oh well that all tracks but for that ending to come after you're like well Shaft got got his man it's just like oh what's the What's this then?
0: It's also weird that Toni Collette's like the MacGuffin of the movie. And here she is like a year after The Sixth Sense. She's such a fucking good actor. She's just been nominated for an Academy Award. You feel like she's going to be the secret weapon of this movie when she comes in. And she's got like one scene where she's good.
2: Why is her character still in town? They just find her playing basketball with some kids in the park.
0: They're like, she's gone. That stuff
1: makes no sense. They paid
0: her $100,000 to get out of town, and she's like, cool. So I'll just, like, not go go home that often. (laughs) Wild. (laughs) I just love
1: when when, when the two giant Italian guys show up to, like, protect her. Like, it's... Anyway we have to talk about the box office griffin please june 16th 2000 shaft opened to 21 million dollars yeah which is pretty big for again a hard r right movie made 70 domestic 107 worldwide like it was a you know it was a hit off of what budget it was 50 and yeah like a 48 million dollar budget which is high like this yeah. movie doesn't look that expensive. I don't know why it cost that
0: much money. Uh but 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 it made like a hundred million worldwide. Yeah, everyone's happy. It did what seventy here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like this this should have been a franchise starter. Uh and I, you know, I the reviews were mixed, but it felt like it was like enjoyed enough passively by people that they could have put one of these out two years later and everyone would have gone to see it Right, they would have just gone like yeah cool I'll see Sam Jackson in a trench coat again who gives a shit I really don't know why a sequel didn't happen until 2019. I don't I don't know what the story is it, there. It is also just funny to think about how radically the summer box office has transformed where you're like June 16th, R-rated shaft opens to a robust 21 million dollars. Is sequel on the way?
1: Yeah, right. Now it would be like, you know, head of Paramount c- commits public suicide as apology for terrible opening of movies. Right, like, well but- now
0: you have like solo opens to disappointing 160 Six, opening <laughs> right, right, one yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Right. yeah right. justice league makes shameful
0: 700 million
1: worldwide <laughs> right. yeah. uh, uh okay number two at the box office is another crime thriller okay um with an a, a star of the moment uh where i think i imagine we're all fans uh hmm. you know he's uh he's there's nobody like him, and then a a young, a young a newer star who just won an Oscar or is going to win an Oscar this year. Um, the it's, the, it's the not the Bone Detective, is, is it? No, it, well, for one, that's called the Bone Collector. You nailed it. Fuck, Angelina fuck. Jolie is in this movie. It would be funny if The Bone Collector was literally called The Bone Detective. I guess that's just what Bones is. It's just Bones. I'd be into that.
0: It's a good movie. (laughs)
2: Shaft 2000 and The Bone Collector were both movies that uh, were in my parents' DVD collection where I'd see them all the time and just be like, I don't really understand what that is. And now I'm like, why do my parents love these movies or how did they feel about them? these. that They're so etched to my mind.
1: Did they just love crime thrillers of the late 90s and early 2000s? But or also, Demi, so. you
0: grew up in a household with those two DVDs and never watched them. It doesn't sound like your parents yeah. were, like, putting them on again. Like, no, they bought them a- and kept them
2: on the shelf. All the time there were movies that I would see around and just be like, I don't know what that is because my parents weren't watching these movies. Yeah. I think my parents are the kind of people who either buy movies thinking like, oh, I might watch that, which I do a lot. Or they buy a movie being like, I liked that movie. I would like to watch it again one day. But they don't because they don't they never watch do. movies.
0: Demi, am I misremembering? No. Or are you the person who every time you went to visit your parents put one more copy of Click on DVD? It,
2: it was... It was really that I, uh, at one moment, put fifty-seven copies in their DVD <laughs> collection uh, for a video. It wasn't like and a, then... a
1: slow death by a thousand cuts. No, it was.
2: <laughs> it was. Here's immediately this, um, and then I. Uh, it was like while I think I was in college, and I went back to college, and I came back like seven months later, and they were still there, and they hadn't mentioned it. And I, I was just like, "What? You guys?" Don't see this or <laughs> notice it or whatever.
1: They were working
0: through it. They were probably on like number twenty-two or yeah, whatever, right? Yeah, <laughs> oh, we're waiting for one of them to be different. Yeah, Uh David. The answer to this movie is gone in sixty seconds. Is it not? It,
1: it's gone. It's gone in sixty seconds. I I, ah. I will. I do want to shout out producer Ben for chiming in two hours in to say that the Bone Collector is a good movie, extremely on brand. Yeah. <laughs> uh Thank you, Ben. <laughs> of course. But sadly, we are talking about. Gone in 60 Seconds, the car boosting movie with Nicolas Cage and Angelina.
0: Is this movie, is that yeah. post
1: Fast and Furious or around
2: it the same time? It is or what?
0: the year before.
2: Got it. Okay.
0: It's a year before. An interesting thing to think about. Yes. The year before. Yeah. Man, and, and John
2: Singleton's career changed really in this weekend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also Gone in 60 Seconds feels like the type of car aficionado movie that dies the second Fast and Furious takes over. You know, yeah. where it's just like car cultures, if people like cars, you can make a movie with a bunch of nice cars in them versus like it's a superhero franchise based around drivers. It's like, do you want to see
2: nice cars or do you want to see people just fucking drive?
1: Gone in 60 Seconds, of course, also a Disney movie.
0: Yeah, Gone in 60 Seconds, Is a now? Disney movie. Yeah. Hmm. Bruckheimer.
1: Number three, uh, it's a comedy, uh, another comedy in which uh, a major black actor well not no, another movie in which a major black actor plays a policeman
0: um but it's a comedy this big mama's house comedy big mama's house big mama's house i believe oh wow. i saw it three times in theater mm. i saw it one time in theater i don't think i've ever seen it my dad loved it so much he called up my grandfather and was like you gotta take the boys to see this movie you're gonna love it and so <laughs> Did i saw Your it grandfather a... love it he loved it. He loved it. It was the one scene where my dad was like, you're not going to believe this scene. He talked it up as if it was like the most iconic scene in comedy history. And it's the scene where Martin Lawrence gets trapped in the shower while he's trying to case Big Mama's house and she starts pooping. And he's in the shower and she's pooping and there are poop sound effects and he's reacting like it <laughs> smells bad. Oh, I also forgot. That's a scene in the 2000 shaft in which uh, – uh, Jeffrey Wright stares down Christian Bale while taking a shit. That's and, true. And that they drop insane. the sound effect of one turd plopping into the toilet at the end when he makes a dramatic point. Well,
1: also, man knows how to, like, you know. You didn't talk about a Go shiv. Ahead. Oh, yeah, he's big. He's yeah. got this ice pick. Yeah, yeah, and he stabs yeah. himself. Well, okay.
2: The moment where he stabs himself, they have this funk music that drops, and it's so uh, not the tone. Like, it, it, I think it wants you to be like, whoa, this guy's really weird. But in my head, it's like any other score. And they'd be like, this guy's a psycho. Yeah. And you sh- this is like the escalation scary. of what he means as a villain. But it's not scary. It's just sort of like, whoa, weird, because of the funk music.
1: That scene, yes, is it feels like something Jeffrey Wright tried out. And they were like, holy shit. And as you say, they completely undercut it in the moment. And it's kind of like, the yeah, drowned out in the mix as well. It's a weird scene. Yeah. Um, it's
2: as close as they get to making him a uh, developed character. Yes, in this. because
1: his brother is dead and he's suddenly charged yeah. up. But then, yeah, you're also like at the end of the day, your your job is that you're a, as an assassin for Christian Bale. Why didn't Christian Bale just hire someone else? Why did he hire this random guy? It doesn't matter. Mm. You've never seen Big Mama's House, Demi, you were saying.
2: I have not, but I think that's another movie in
0: my parents' DVD collection. I really? feel like my parents
2: just got a, a box of, of DVDs in the year 2000 and then never again.
0: (laughs) I've done this riff before, but it's just one of the most fascinating like sequel approaches to a movie where the first one is Nia Long is like a witness. They put her into, uh, she's on the run from her ex-husband who's Terrence Howard. She goes to hide out at her big mama's house. So Martin Lawrence specifically needs to impersonate her big mama in order to keep her safe. And then the sequel is like there's an incident at a college. We need someone to go undercover and he's like cool, I'll take out the Big Mama costume. Big Mama means nothing. <laughs> like, really? There're two more movies yeah. where he assumes the role of Big Mama and no one knows Big Mama as a person. And in
2: the third one, isn't it, he has a son Correct. and the son also and has to dress like That's like I guess you're a your little mama now. What <laughs> the
0: fuck? What is yeah. this? You, this is, I believe
1: the the poster of the third one is literally Martin Lawrence is holding up the wardrobe his son is going to have to wear. And his <laughs> son is like, ah.
0: why? Like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, this seems overly complicated. Can I just put a mustache on? We
2: don't have any ideas for how to do a sequel after it's been five years past. They
0: got a kid now.
1: Yes, they always. It's like they have a secret kid, and it's actually a hot twenty five year
0: old. Yeah, which is which is what the third Shaft is. Uh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Number. Five at the box office. So number four. Where are we? Number four is a
1: sequel. It's one of the most successful films of the year. Mission Impossible Um, 2? It's Mission Impossible 2.
0: I think it is the highest grossing Mm. film of the year. Or, Or Grinch. Yes,
1: I always I always forget if like I think maybe it's highest worldwide and Grinch's highest domestic yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yes, It's
2: um, the John Woo motorcycle Mission Impossible, uh-huh. correct
1: mm-hmm. with a, the the great character of Sandgun, of course. Yes, uh, Sandgun, uh, a gun, a gun that Tom Cruise kicks out of the sand to shoot someone. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest scene in the movie. That's the only Mission
2: Impossible movie where I truly don't remember anything besides... Well, I okay, no. I remember the uh, rock climbing in the beginning yep. and I remember rock the climbing? motorcycle crashing yep. in the No, air.
0: that's the thing. It, it, it is almost yeah. impossible to remember. There's a middle two hours it. there <laughs> two hours? That,
1: that's tough. That's tough. (laughs) Wild.
0: Doing that commentary really (laughs) solidified that, where whenever people defend that movie, I'm like, I agree with everything you're saying. Now rewatch the two hours in between everything you just (laughs) described to me,
1: because it's there. There's that scene where, like, Brendan Gleeson is, like, sweating on a hospital bed for, like, a while. And, like, it's just one of those classic movies where, like, when you're watching it, you're like, I can't remember why they're doing this. Like, the movie leaves you as you're watching it. Anyway, number five at the box office is, it is a shame. It's the one bad one uh number five is an animated film Griffin we will cover it dinosaur on this podcast one day it's not dinosaur okay but that if we're gonna cover seven
0: if we're gonna cover it one day uh animated 2000 it's not
1: correct <clears throat> it's a science fiction animated film oh it's
0: Titan AE it's Titan AE Don Bluth's final Titan movie A.E. Titan weirdly wow. has become one of our like longest held promise episodes. Like I feel like I know. it just comes up so much where it's like some, de- like that's become the Hulk for us now. Why? It just feels like such a <laughs> weird artifact. And Don Bluth has such an odd career trying to like destroy Disney and almost making it work and then really yeah. not making it work. And that's sort of like such a, a peak example. That's movie. That's, yeah.
1: That's the one that kills him. Yeah. Yeah. I, it doesn't kill him, but it's, you know, that's it kills it
0: kills the career yeah yeah uh titan eight wow
1: yeah number six i just want to shout out is the um romantic comedy boys and girls
0: uh, oh. uh starring of course freddie prince jr claire forlani and jason, jason biggs. biggs yeah yeah um wait a second i'm trying to remember what the tagline is for boys and girls okay
1: i i want to tell you the entire poster let's do it uh okay here i'm we looking go. at the poster
0: uh because yes, this, this is what i remember because i remember the trailer doing the same thing with the warning said in voiceover
1: right. you, you have um uh the two girls Claire forlani and amanda detmer and you have the boys freddie and jason mm-hmm. uh freddie versus jason but with those two guys just <laughs> yeah. a pitch i'm throwing out there yeah um, the top the top tagline says opposites attack so, I guess it's like boys and girls are opposites, and they're gonna like, but yeah, below boys and girls is the second tagline warning sex changes everything. Yeah. That's now, it. I, That's I rem- just that, that, no other explanation of why they might be warning you about this.
0: I, I remember, like Don LaFontaine or whoever, saying that in the trailer, <laughs> and the stamp like went over the screen, and it felt almost like that was the full title of the movie. Like it was called "Boys and Girls Warning: Sex Changes Everything." <laughs> um, my oh my, my brother Jamesy, past and future guest of the show went to see that movie in theaters and was like, it sucked. But there's one line that is so funny. And James is going to come back on the show to talk about Space Jam, a new legacy, an episode that will be happening very soon. And so I just want to put a pin in that because I want to see if he remembers what that line was. Because for months he would be like that one line Jason Biggs says is so funny in that movie. All right. Do you guys have movies like that
2: where you're just like, this is from decades ago, but I distinctly remember my response to this one line? Yes.
1: I, I, I Especially yeah. trailers, like maybe movies that I never even saw. Oh, yeah. but I, And then I finally will watch them. And I'm like, oh, I forgot that that trailer line was burned into my brain forever and ever and ever. Honestly, it's my duty to please that booty. <laughs>
2: Vividly remembers several lines from the Bringing Down the House trailer, uh, Mm. including the iconic, you got me straight trippin', boo.
0: Well, that's right, right, yes.
2: But I I remember seeing Chicken Run in 2000 and they uh, have someone says where there's a will, there's a way. And someone else says, and I will be going this way. And I was just like, yeah, that's the the only joke that's ever been made. That one
0: (laughs) is is, a good joke. Demi, I was not anticipating because I the one I feel like from the trailer, I remember being played to death. And I love Chicken Run is I don't want to be a pie. I don't like gravy. Yes, it's a good line. Well, that's a good
2: one. But something about that one line, I was just like, oh, yeah. You tricked. I knew that. I know the setup, but this is a different punchline. Rocky. And so I
0: was just like, "What the you hell, dirty rooster?" Yeah. Um, incredible. I I rewatched a Shanghai Noon for the first time in a while recently for Patrick Willem's uh, Infinity Pod and a big line in my family. Which then watching it again in context was like, "That's weird that we just said this all the time because everyone in my family found this movie so funny." But I'll just say the line completely out of context now. You said wet shirt don't break not piss shirt ben bars. What? 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 <laughs> that's my point. You said that all the time. All the time. We were like, remember that funniest line ever in any movie ever? Wait, 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 wait a second. Wow, well, you you said wet shirt don't break not piss shirt ben bars. Jesus. Uh, we were just oh, worried, I mean, like that's the job. funniest. <laughs> We all thought that was the funniest fucking why thing. Why is the world. that funny? I don't even know why that's funny. I I can't I yeah, I, I, I can't know. get into it. I can't get into it. We don't have the time. I will say this. I'll say this as a final thing. I was watching Draft 2019, which has as we've said, a great many issues, right? Many of them conceptually mm-hmm. from page 1. Uh But, uh, you know, it wants to do this thing of like, oh, Shaft is like a guy of his time. He's not PC anymore. Here's his son, who's this modern man. One of the many issues with the movie is it can't decide if Shaft is uncool for being antiquated and sexist or Shaft's son is uncool for being a modern man. And much of the movie is him calling him like a a pussy soy boy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: so much of the marketing for the movie uh, was definitely in the former because a lot of the marketing was just sort of like, why don't you take your avocado toast yes. and shove it up your dick hole? <laughs> and then in the movie, it's just sort of like, what's the... <laughs> so much <of> <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> right. It's It really feels like they wanted to market it to boomers and to like people, just like, I don't know, right-wing people whose entire perception of millennials is... Uh, they're two PC. Yes. And Ooh, I'm just the, like, I. it's
1: so depressing that, like, yes. a shaft movie yes! is really about shaft cucking
0: millennials. Well, <laughs> like, this is the other <laughs> thing. The, the other thing is, like, mm. I, I agree yeah. with you, Demi, that that movie works best when it's sort of about the weirdness of samuel jackson and the sadness of this guy still existing in 2019 acting like nothing's changed yes. like that
2: i think it should have been an austin powers type right. take where it's just like shaft right, is unfrozen right. out of the 70s right. and everyone's like what the fuck is wrong with you
0: <laughs> you can't just shout to get laid I, so I was doing the thought experiment while watching it because Jesse T. Usher, who's one of these guys who's sort of been positioned as like, oh, is he a new leading man? He'll play Will Smith's son in Independence Day, you know, resurgence like he can be your legacy actor is not inherently a comedic actor. Right. And that role is designed is no. like the funny, young, modern shaft. Right. Like he's not supposed to be a cool movie star guy. He's supposed to be the one who can banter well with Samuel Jackson. And I was doing the thought experiment of like, look, obviously, I'd want this thing to get a fucking page one rewrite. But like, who is the actor you could cast as John Shaft, the third that would make this movie funnier to me? And I was like racking my brain. And genuinely, genuinely, the answer I came to is I want to see Demi play young Shaft. Oh, God.
2: (laughs) I don't know. That's a zero box office movie. I mean, but
0: you know what else was a zero box office movie? Jesse T. Usher and (laughs) Shaft.
2: That's fair.
0: But I I was thinking if it was you with Samuel Jackson, I would have found that funny. I don't know if the movie would have I would have had a blast. You would have had a good time. Yeah, everyone would be like,
2: Demi's having so much fun. Everyone's review would be Demi's having so much fun, which is their way of being like, this
0: movie sucks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you had a lot of fun. That's what people would say to you at
0: parties. I, you can just tell they're having, they're enjoying it. They had a nice time. The dinners every night after they wrapped must have been delightful.
2: Yeah, I'll show up to set and wear a red coat and just be like, oh man, I got my, my gotta go to the Apple store and have Samuel L. Jackson be like, you kids, oh, podcast so much app confusion in that movie No
1: <laughs> oh, good that's good oh, great yeah
2: it's it really hidden hidden all the hallmarks of what studios want to say about uh, people now which is just they love apps and uh, yeah. avocado toast or some shit I,
0: I, I several <sighs> times had to pause the movie to double check that it did in fact come out in 2019 because it feels like yeah. it's 10 years old
2: it, it felt like two, a 2004 movie
0: yes yes th- yes uh, Demi thank you so much for being on the show well, thank you for having me to talk about Shaft. Always a pleasure. So we're just talking about Shaft. Um I can dig it. Anything you want to plug?
2: Uh watch the Amber Ruffin show.
0: Great and show. It's really that's good.
2: That's it. Very good. Uh yeah, that's it. Got nothing else. Peacock. I'm just sitting here. Peacock. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Peacock. You know, but it doesn't,
0: you free. don't need the premium. It's uh, It's on the That's free right. tier. It's on
1: the, the, the ad tier. Yes,
0: and right. I know they've been right. doing some, some bursts of also uh, broadcasting the show on NBC. So sometimes it's airing. Yes.
2: I have no idea if it's still the case. I think we were syndicated on NBC for 10 weeks. I don't know when that was. It might be over. But, you know, turn on NBC and maybe you'll see a thing I wrote. And maybe you'll just see New Amsterdam instead.
1: Hey. Hey, watch out. Look, hey.
0: That's every time I turn on my TV. Logan from Gilmore Girls is a doctor.
1: Yeah. Right? That's what New yeah. Amsterdam is. I think yep. that... Isn't that what The Resident? Oh, that's we The Resident. I fucked can't up! We can't
2: ah. get into this. We'll we'll be here for uh, another you, hour. You simmed it. <laughs> Try and oh, simmed, simmed it. it I simmed it up. I
0: simmed it up. Um... Demi, thank you again for being here. And folks, thank <laughs> great. <laughs> <Thank> Just reset. <laughs> you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Ben, don't correct me. I don't want to say the thing. I want to say subscribe.
1: It's not right. Like, what's the real thing? They've changed it. Now it says follow. Oh. So you can mm, follow okay. a show. You don't subscribe to a show anymore on Apple Podcasts.
0: They changed the bum, but I'm going to be like shaft. I'm going to be anachronistic.
2: Mm hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, it should
2: be follow. Go to Patreon. It shouldn't be follow.
0: It should not. Uh, yeah, Go to Blank Check. Go to Patreon.com slash Blank Check for Blank Check special features where we're talking Twilight. We're covering the Twilight movies. Uh oh, yeah. Movies that have a very, very chill relationship to sex, much like the Shaft franchise. <laughs> um, Shaft is the anti-Twilight. Yeah. In, in I've always said this. In so many ways. Yeah. Um, uh go to uh for some real nerdy shit and go to our Shopify page for some real nerdy merch. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media, Alex Barron, AJ McKeon for editing help. And David, we got a new member of the team. Yep. Research. We got we got uh research on this episode done by JJ Bursch and Nick Loriano. So thanks to them. And thank you to Lane Montgomery and the great American novel for our theme song tune in next week for baby boy and as always i am legally obligated no i should just let you that's how it should end no
2: do the legal obligation what was that
0: i'm legally obligated to let you know it's my duty to please that voting
1: there we go oh my god wait that... Ah. Uh. Ah. <laughs>